I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, as always, live here on Monday morning at 7 a.m. Just us and good morning football. Talking all the football this morning. You ready to review all the week nine action? Sam, you love when I compare us to good morning football. I no comment either way on comparing us to Good Morning Football. Because we're live. I was just, it, was, it was a bit of a clunky intro. It was a little clunky. Yeah. I've, I've done better. You have. Can we re... No, we can't restart that. We're live. That's so let's, yeah. let's have some fun. When I reminded you that Thursday Night Football was the Jets-Colts game, you did give that... Um, I mean, you're generally disgusted on a Monday morning, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. were really disgusted when I reminded you that that was a game yeah. that maybe we should touch on at least briefly. I Colts beating the Jets. that maybe it wasn't. You suggested maybe not. Maybe it's not a game we should touch on. Anyway, uh, let's do high level really quick. Week nine, what a what a crazy week! Ridiculous week. The whole one o'clock window, where you know, of course, we're always communicating the whole day, and it was just like nothing. Nothing makes sense here. Yeah, at one point there were like eight games going on, and one of them made any shred of sense. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was weird. It was weird. So my thought is maybe there's no takeaways. No, let's wrap it up. Throw this one out. You're a big throw it out guy. See you Wednesday. We'll see you Wednesday. You said you guys said we're long-winded. Now we'll get it. We'll get into all this mess. But um, high level, here's the deal: we sit here every week. We overreact. We react. We overreact. We we crown a new team every single week. But this is fun. It's chaos. There's there's no <laughs> there's no clear favorite anymore. There's no dominant team. You know the Rams looked like maybe. Maybe this was true, but then the Rams could be that team that establishes themselves as the dominant team. Nope, yep, Stafford back into a pumpkin mm. last night. Back into a pumpkin, throwing pick sixes and that's almost the, pick sixes. That's the MVP you're talking about. Sorry. Um, but this is this is fun. This is I, I mentioned this on the Daily, I think, last week. This is kind of like that post-Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze, elite QB world, maybe, where it's like a little little chaotic. No, I know Brady and Breeze are still there, but you know they're they're old. Uh, Breeze is not still there. Brady and Rogers are still yeah. here. I mean, he's still there. I had the name. He in my exists. Head. It's just he's no longer playing. Breeze football. is not playing. He's on Sunday Night Football. Uh, but I met Rogers in my head, so uh, well, that's okay. I don't know. It's chaotic. Yeah, like it, it's funny. We, you know, we and everybody else is out here trying to analyze the game and decipher patterns and tell you what's going to happen and then what did happen and then you end up with a game with a weekend like this where <laughs> almost everything that happened bore absolutely no resemblance to reality whatsoever right like no matter what you're doing you cannot go into that game and predict anything like the the jacksonville buffalo performance right it just it, that was not that was not a spectrum of outcomes that anybody touched on last week and yet it's obviously in the range of outcomes that can happen on any given nfl sunday 
which is, I think, why this sport is so fascinating, and you know, we all spend our time doing it. I also love a good nine to six game. You don't Who see doesn't? a whole lot of nine to six games anymore. You don't. No. I mean, it's a six to three is better, but I love. Well, a we've good had nine this run of scoregami games, you know, in the last few weeks. Games. This is a throwback, though. right? Games yeah. that the final result. Uh, comprises a new score that's never been seen in NFL history, right? You know, 30 to 45 or whatever it is, that was right? one. Um, 9-6 is not one of those. 9-6 has yeah. happened many, many times in NFL history, but not for a while. Yeah, not usually not in this uh, pass-heavy, score-heavy era. So you mentioned a 45 to 30 score-gami. That was exactly the score of the Colts-Jets game. I was surprised that that was a score-gami. Um, let's touch on it very, very briefly. The Colts, what I love the most of this... They achieved the Urban Meyer goal. Yes, 250-250. The goal, I mean, this is what... You mocked him. This is what the Jags offense is aspiring to every single week, and the Colts achieved it with 260 yards on the ground and then 272 passing yards. You mocked him, and here is proof that Urban was onto something. If you get 250-250 in the game, you're probably going to stomp the opposition. You're probably going to score 45. I mean, this was ridiculous. They were The Colts were averaging 10 yards per attempt at one point, so... Um, just horrible by the Jets. Uh, Mike White gets hurt. Josh Johnson comes in, th- you know, throws for 317 off the bench just for fun. This and, was uh, like the worst possible scenario for uh, Zach Wilson. Remember, it was like that's the takeaway on this, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the first, the first game where Mike White came in, uh, where Zach Wilson got hurt. It's like, well, at least Mike White didn't play well, you know? Because the worst thing that could happen for Zach Wilson is that he goes out, Mike White comes in, balls, and suddenly it's like, oh. Maybe Zach Wilson's the problem here. That didn't happen the first time he played, but then the start was when Mike White got himself 400 yards and looked pretty good. Right. He was on his way to looking pretty good in this game, 7 of 11 for 95 yards and a touchdown, then gets himself hurt, um, or seemed to hurt his wrist, uh, got banged while he was throwing a, a pass, and then he goes out, can't feel his hand or whatever, can't throw the ball. So in comes Josh Johnson who has one of the most absurd careers in NFL history. If you go back and look at Josh Johnson's college career statistics, they are some of the most ridiculous stats you'll ever see from a quarterback at any level of the game anywhere. Insane. His final uh, season at San Diego, it was like 43 touchdowns and one interception. Um, And I believe the one interception hit his receiver in the hands from memory. I think now... I think great it, man. I think there were also a couple of like no, you know, turnover worthy plays that weren't picks. But Never. just for the sake of like comedy stats, the one interception he threw that final year hit his receiver in the hands. His overall college numbers were like 130 combined touchdowns, rushing and passing for like 13 or 15 interceptions or something. Absolute madness. Then he's in the NFL and he's played for basically every team in the league, plus a team in the. Uh, the United Football League and one in, was it the AAF he was in or the XFL, one of those two leagues. He's been everywhere and just keeps coming back and eventually goes out there and has his first 300-yard game. He was drafted in 2008, so a decade plus into his career and looked really good and got really unlucky, almost brought him back, almost got himself the four touchdowns. Like if he had one more pick and he was in like the shadow of the goal line or one more touchdown rather and he was in the shadow of the goal line, if he'd had the fourth touchdown, he would have tied Zach Wilson for the season. Stop. Come on. I'm just saying if you're Zach pick and you're Zach. sitting on the bench and you're looking at this, you're like, okay, Mike White goes out there, looks great. Josh Johnson comes in off the couch, looks great. 
What, what's wrong with me? Briefly, let's talk. Let, let, that, that was the one thing I kind of wanted to touch on here. Zach Wilson sitting and watching. And I would say of all the positions in sports, quarterback is probably the one where you can watch a little bit, right? I mean, you can. Don't you dare. You just said you couldn't do that. Yeah. I posed this very question to you last week after Mike White balled out. I was like, do you sit Zach Wilson down and have him learn from the bench? And you were like, no. I'm saying, I'm saying the silver lining is maybe he could do that. Now, granted, there was a point in Sam Darnold early in his career. Early in his career, the same thing happened, right? Darnold got hurt for three or four weeks. Josh McCown went in, and we jumped on that narrative, too. This is great for Sam Darnold. This is great. He gets to sit here and watch Josh McCown. Watch the master go to work. The guy that's been on 18 teams. Now, now you get Zach Wilson. Guy's been on 18 teams. It's Josh Johnson. Get to watch Josh Johnson work. Maybe you can learn a little bit because it's not for Zach Wilson. It's not about the physical ability. It's like, man, this offense really runs when you get the ball out, you know, a second faster per per drop back, yes. like these other guys are. There might be something there where he gets a, gets to see this thing operate. I'm not suggesting sit him for the rest of the year. I'm suggesting while he's standing on the sideline, looking like the ball boy at 15 years old, mm. that maybe he can uh, he could pick some stuff up watching this offense run. Uh, the other thing to come out of this game is. Was this the first game the Colts had their starting five offensive linemen and they just ran over the Jets' offensive or defensive line like it wasn't there? I mean, yeah, I, I just don't. Like the Jets, I don't. The Jets ended up premium stats 2.0. You go check out their grades and you can get 25% off using the promo code NFL Pod. Look at that. Look at the, pro, look at that. the promo code pops wow. up. Look at the bottom of the screen. Not if you're listening, but if you're watching. If you're watching, <laughs> 25% off the promo code is NFL Pod. Nice job. Good touch, Tyler. If you have that and you go check out the, the Jets' grades, 29.8 as a team, I don't know if I've ever seen that. I just don't know if I've ever seen as much red as I'm seeing from the Jets' defense on Thursday night. Right, but a big part of that is for the first time this year, the Colts had the five starting offensive linemen they anticipated going into the season with. Yeah, they Eric got Fisher, yeah. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Mark Lewinsky, and Braden Smith, right? That's their five that they had out for the first time. Yeah. Like we've been saying, this is a top three offensive line when those guys are healthy, and they hadn't been all season long. If that is a new development for the Colts, I they're going to get that five for the rest of the year. That's genuinely transformative. That, like Jonathan Taylor, everyone comes out, oh, Jonathan Taylor, incredible game. Yeah, because he was running through like wide open chasms yes. that they were opening for him. Like that, and that'll happen all year long if those guys are healthy. Yeah, and you get Naheem Hines was making big plays. So anyway, it was a great all-around effort by the Colts, uh, pretty bad by the Jets, and also, you know, not encouraging for your your rookie quarterback that wasn't playing, Zach Wilson. Mm. So we're going to go through all the games here. Let's go back to uh, – let's go to yesterday. Yes. And we'll go through that 1 o'clock slate. Let's start with this Baltimore win over the Vikings, 34-31. to Baltimore pulls it off in overtime. Big, big shocking surprise here uh, at the end of the game, Sam. Uh, no. Was not? This game went exactly the way we said it would go, which is to say the exact way it shouldn't have gone. I, the Ravens should have won this handily based off everything we knew about both teams going into it. But the other thing we knew about both teams going into it is that the Vikings never play a normal game and play every single team close, regardless of how good they are. So the question was, like, how are the Vikings going to keep this close? Because we know they will. Well, the way they did it this time was jump out to 14-point lead twice and then throw it all away to the point where they were going to lose by a field goal. To the, and it, this was so predictable that I think while they were a score up, I think they'd already thrown away the double-digit lead 
but at least an hour before the end of the game, I texted you and was like, uh, the Vikings, this is the most Vikings game ever. They're up double digits and they're going to lose by a field goal. Yeah. And then I thought they'd blown it. You ended up tweeting this out, right? Yeah. I thought they'd blown it. I thought they, when they tied the game late on, and then Baltimore were struggling. I was like, ah, oh, they're, they're not going to lose by a field goal. It's gone by overtime. Eh. But no, they just put it to overtime first. Um, but the other interesting thing from this is, remember when Dan Campbell went for two at the end of the game to try and win it rather than tie? And it didn't end up working. It was, was that against the Vikings? Um, it was against the Ravens. The Ravens. Right? I don't even remember. It's a blur at this point. But oh. either way, they didn't get it right the team they left there was enough time on, left on the clock that was against the vikings yeah that the opposition was able to drive down get a field goal and win the game right but the point is had they held them then the lions would have won the game instead of going to overtime and taking your chances the vikings drive down they'd thrown away the lead they were now down they score a touchdown they're now down by one and I don't think it even crossed Mike Zimmer's mind that there was an alternative option to kicking the point and tying up the game and playing for overtime. There was a minute left on the clock, so Baltimore had the chance to drive down and kick a game-winning field goal to stop it going to overtime. But this was the opposite. Like the Dan Campbell one, they went for the points, they got the points, and then couldn't stop the field goal, so it didn't matter. Um, here... The, he did it again. Yeah, yeah, nice. Here, the Vikings didn't go for it, but had they gone for it, they actually held the Ravens, and who didn't get a field goal, and they would have won the game. So would you have gone for it if you're the Vikings? I would always go for that. Really? Yes. I don't see a downside to not going for it. I yeah, mean, I other than you lose the game then and there, but like, what's the difference? I don't think it even crossed him's mind. I don't. Literally. I, I genuinely don't think it even registered that that was an option. It's just, oh, we scored now, now we tie it up and let's go. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, other than you predicting the outcome and all that stuff and it feeling obvious from a Vikings perspective, it was a fun back-and-forth game. You've got uh, Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell, the two-headed monster combined with Lamar Jackson for 247 yards on the ground from the Ravens. Um, It wasn't, I mean, there's some scrambles in there, obviously, as always, but, you know, this was a little old school in the way the Ravens ran the ball. Was it Schlereth loving it? Just loving it, saying, lean on it. Hmm. Run them, you wear them out. I mean, they, they did. They controlled the ball a ton. This is a good game for Stink. This was. Stink's was, all about this kind of game. He was loving it. Give him the Ravens every week. Give him the Ravens because he you know loves a good run game, loves a good backside pulling guard. So, not that they did that. I mean, they're outside zone team, you know, in Denver. But either way, he still loves it. Uh, but the, the run game, really effective for the Ravens. And, uh, you know, this was another just an, another important win for the Ravens as they try to keep pace, you know, with the great Tennessee Titans. The Ravens pull another one off, you know, and, and it is it's just funny how much things change in a couple weeks, right? The, we'll talk about the Bengals in a minute, but it was just two weeks ago. The Bengals had a franchise-defining win against the Ravens, and the Ravens, you know, they're, they're holding the course here. You know, it, it is about consistency week to week. The Bengals were the number one seed two weeks ago. They're now in last in the AFC North, mm. and the Ravens keep, uh, keep chugging along here. Yeah, the Ravens are pulling out several kind of critical key wins in situations that were very perilous of the season. They've kind of, I don't want to say they've ridden their luck, but they've come up clutch at a few key opportunities over the, the course of the year. Um, and the Vikings almost the exact opposite. Like when they've been put in this situation, they've typically not pulled it out. And for the Vikings, like 
you look at the the seventh seed in the NFC is going to go to a team that isn't very good. And the Vikings, are they might have the best sort of track at that seventh seed, but they keep throwing away games like this. Like, as a team, they feel like they should be there, but they're three and five now. Right, that's it's what getting, I mean. It's a perilous like, territory. You can't lose too many of these games, particularly with their upcoming schedule, and still make that seventh seed. Uh, for the Ravens, too, I think um, as much as I, I mentioned the run game and all that stuff, but you know, Marquise Brown continues to produce. Rashad Bateman, they have integrated him into the lineup. Devin Duvernay with a ridiculous catch. I know they the were Ravens talking, had a yeah. few of those. Duvernay had one. Bateman had an insane yeah. snag. Like Lamar was off in this game. He like, was. He did not have a good game at all. Accuracy was all over the place. Didn't look particularly comfortable. Oh boy, they're gonna they're gonna come after you. Like in this Lamar game, fans are coming after you in this game. Lamar Jackson's accuracy was not good. I see two big time throws in there. I believe those were accurate. Yes. Overall, his accuracy was not good. <laughs> I agree. I know. Um, and yeah, he relied. There was a few absolutely ridiculous snags from his receivers to help make things look less bad than they were for him. Yeah. So um, again, I think I think for Baltimore, they score thirty four. The all around effort that the that the offense can bring. This is this is what they've been. This is what they've been trying. You know, moving toward over these last couple of years is being able to. Win with, win with the pass game, win with the run game, have more weapons offensively. I think we're starting to see that come to fruition for the Ravens here. So they moved to 6-2. and two. Vikings at 3-5. and five. Anything else you want to add on this game? No. Vikings pasty still. You know, they, they were making it difficult for the, for the most part, but they just they could not get off the field run game-wise. So uh, good game. Good game for the Ravens and uh, another disappointing loss for the Vikings who do play up or down. To whoever they're playing, really Super Bowl is. contender Ravens, and they're right there in overtime. It really is kind of amazing how they do that. It's incredible. NFL fans, you hungry for a big win this week? Well, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, they got you covered. New new customers can bet just five dollars on any NFL game to win, any NFL team to win their game. And if you win, if they win, you win two hundred dollars in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available yet in your state, don't can, shake your can head. Can you get it together over there? Sorry, I haven't, I haven't read this before. Okay. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed if the sportsbook's not yet available in your state, Sam. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. With promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Of course, you must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, where are we going to go next here for football games? Uh, New England 24, Carolina Panthers 6. Uh, I did say we should probably... um, Somebody pointed out that when you gave... The Titans, any chance to win? I asked you, the Titans have a chance to win? You gave up hard no, 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 no. You were way off mm. on that one. You were right on on this one. When we were predicting this game, uh, I, I think I took New England, but you were just like, nope, Sam Darnold, nope. Yeah. Nope, Sam Darnold. Yeah. Darnold, That's what happened. Darnold's very, very bad at, That's actually uh, what happened at quarterbacking in this game. Yeah, Where it really is. is. i got to find this graphic that I just pointed out. It's 16 of 33 for 172 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, one of which was a pick six, and a passer rating of 26 was Sam Darnold. The, there's a, 
I haven't checked when this was, but there's like a, you know, one of those sideline clips, and it's Robbie Anderson being extremely pissed off at Sam Darnold generally. You don't know what he was pissed off at. No, no, I'm pretty sure you do. My question, though, is did that happen directly after the pick six, or was that at some See, other point is, in the game? I, I don't like this whole thing because the, all the captions said that he was mad at Sam Darnold. We don't know what he was mad at. Projecting. Well, here's the thing. If it happened after the pick six, Robbie Anderson had to run a long damn way to fall flat in his face and not quite make the tackle on the pick six. If I was right. Robbie Anderson, that would infuriate me more than simply a, an errant pass ending up in the hands of defenders. The fact that after that happened, I then had to run 60 yards and ended up with my face in the turf and they scored anyway. That would make me very upset if I was Robbie Anderson. So if sure. it happened after the pick six... I would sort of say, all right, he's, he's mad at Sam Darnold, but primarily he's mad that he kind of got made to look a little bit stupid by J, uh, J.C. Jackson, like, weaving around and, you know, falling on his face. If it happened after one of the other interceptions, then it's more like, no, he's just straight pissed that Sam Darnold is terrible at quarterback. Either way, I don't like when people put captions on stuff when they really don't know what a guy, unless he's yelling in Sam Darnold's face, which he wasn't, we don't know why he was mad. So it's just frustrated Robbie Anderson on the sideline. I mean, I'm prepared to speculate at this point. People are just just want those want those likes, man. Need that dopamine hit. Anyway, Robbie's frustrated. Uh, this was a fun stat from SportsCenter, retweeted by Michael Hurley. You got to you got to properly uh, credit credit yeah, yeah. to uh, my friend Michael Hurley from uh, CBS Sports New England, wherever he is right now. Worst point margin in first four starts versus opponent. This is since the merger. Andrew Luck minus one sixteen. Against the Patriots. Love so, good since the merger. Stan. Since the merger, right. And it's not since the 80s. This is since 1970, hmm. which was... Um, the merger. You and I both watched some 1970, whatever, two highlights or something the other day. It was a different football game. Yes. Slightly different game. They should probably move this since the merger <laughs> a little bit closer to reality here because Joe Namath was not playing the same game of football that they're playing today. I mean, those stat lines are just absurd. Either way, yeah, like five completions for 228 yeah, or like whatever. 250 yards. It's amazing. So this is great. Ver- ver- worst point margin, first four starts versus specific opponent. Andrew Luck versus the Patriots. Jeff George versus the 49ers, minus 105. Jeff George versus the Bills. So he's second and third on the list here. Yep. Jeff George the Colt and Jeff George the Falcon. And then uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, point differential of minus 100 in four games against the Patriots. Mm. And this, uh, this backs up exactly what you were saying. He's got one touchdown, nine picks against New England. And that was very much the story of this football game. Carolina not being able to move the ball. And when they did, well, they turned it over. I'm glad that we finally got closure on the... Um you know, well, Christian McCaffrey hasn't been in the lineup. So, of course, Sam Darnold doesn't look like the same guy from the first three weeks. Yeah, McCaffrey was back in there this week, and he still looked terrible. Look, there's a lot of that analysis going on. The OBJ stuff, which, by the way, today's PFF NFL Daily, we talk about the Browns. We talk about how the Browns do look better. There is about four years of evidence mounting in this OBJ, they're better off without him. Yeah, not saying OBJ is the real, whatever. Browns are better off without him. It's just... The evidence is there. This like, well, they were 3-0 and with Christian McCaffrey, and then he left, and all of a sudden things fell apart with the Panthers. That is not evidence. There's actually evidence the last year when Christian McCaffrey got hurt. The Panthers' offense was more efficient. That was, that's just like searching for something to disprove what's obvious, right? Yeah. Sam Darnold is bad. Sam Darnold looked better the first three games when they were playing terrible opponents and then started to look bad as soon as they started facing some better teams. And the people that want Sam Darnold to be good 
don't want to accept that self-evident truth. So consequently, they're looking for other explanations. And if you're looking for other explanations, you can say, well, Christian McCaffrey wasn't there. So of course the offense is different. I mean, God, how did we not see it before? But now he's back and that excuse disappears in a, you know, in a vanishing smoke-filled flame the same way that, you know, Sam Darnold's touchdowns have. Oof. Like, it, it's, it's Sam Darnold. It's not other things. It's not Christian McCaffrey. It's, it's Darnold. Checking in on Darnold's season grade, we're going to be at 62.6 coming out of this week. Which is basically where he's always been. Yeah, 64, 63, 58, 62.6. Yeah. So that's the really uh, tragic thing for Carolina is that they kind of, they didn't go all in for Sam Darnold, but they did trade a reasonable amount for a guy that was always going to be a huge risk to do exactly this. They then picked up his fifth year option because you kind of had to at that point, and the backup quarterback is PJ Walker, who, and let's be fair to him, is probably worse than Sam Darnold. So now what do you do? Like Carolina has been making moves as recently as the Gilmore trade to essentially say, no, 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 we're going to be, we're going to be good this year. We're going to be contending. Like we're going to, uh, we're a playoff team, and now you suck. And Sam Darnold and PJ are your options at quarterback. You keep, uh, you just, you keep rolling with Sam. You just keep rolling with Sam Darnold. So you just like he had a decent week last week against the Falcons. Again, one of those his best show, best throws didn't show up in the box score type of deals. This was. His bad throws did show up in the box score. No touchdowns, three picks, 26 passer rating, 5.2 yards per attempt. Just not good across the board for Darnold and the Panthers. Uh, is it time in this wide-open AFC? Patriots are in the playoff picture now. They're 5-4. and four. Did you finally look? Did you go and find the play where Mac Jones like threw a heel hook onto Brian Burns? No, I did not go and uh, take a look. It was <laughs> pretty blatant. It's pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> Um, grabbing hold of his ankle is one thing. I mean, it's kind of pointless because, you know, there were about eight other players that were going to make the play anyway. It's not like you were preventing them from recovering it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you had a bin, I can kind of, I might even endorse that, you know? Okay, that's smart. So grabbing hold of it is one thing. But when he was like shucking you off and about to get out of your, the, the, you grabbing his ankle to then essentially like wrap in a full heel hook and take him to the ground felt instincts. a little bit it's just instincts yeah i blame ufc of course the kids are growing up i mean look the if there's UFC. one thing if there's one thing we know about mac jones is that the man is a trained killer yeah you know and you can't take away those instincts <clears throat> my thought is if you're going to grab and twist or whatever i would go full figure four Right. If you full go, if you go full figure four, that always seemed like a lot of work to sink in, though. Yeah. Like the heel Somehow, hook. Is, like I, I, when I was in like a, if I ever got into like a schoolyard fight or whatever, I would try to break out a good figure four, a good sharpshooter. The, the it didn't four, work as well. Mm, see, in the schoolyard. Right. The figure four is one of those things where if you notice, if you watch a bit of UFC. You rarely see the figure four sunk in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're trying to go for knee bars. They're trying to go for heel hooks. They're they're not trying to sink in a full figure four. But I, UFC, they're not doing it right. Oh. So what you got to do is you, it's like full Ric Flair figure four here. I mean, you grab a leg, you give a woo, you know, you drop the woo, <laughs> and then you got to get the crowd pumped up, and then you know. So that's where they're going wrong in the UFC. Is oh yeah. They don't drop the woo before they try and sink yes. it in. Yes, because okay. you know the opponent's just going to lay there and just go, no, no, don't do it, right? So, I don't know. Mac, he's a rookie. He's got, he's got time. He can learn. I think next time you go full Ric Flair 
figure four. And nobody's going to take that seriously. Like, oh, he's not trying to hurt him. That's just a that's just a pro wrestling move. But you're really, you know, you're jamming it in there. Getting <laughs> there, the knee. There's a few guys in the UFC that are like specialists, you know, uh, leg lock artists, right? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of most Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, they're into, you know, the chokeholds, all this kind of stuff. There are a few people that are like leg lock specialists. And it's always funny because you see they like they fight in a different way because they're constantly trying to like launch themselves at a dude's knees and sink in something ridiculous right and everybody sort of treats them as like they're a dangerous animal because you're not used to that so suddenly this dude dives at your ankles and you're like ah! you know jump out of the way and get the hell away from it because if that guy sinks it in you're in trouble mac jones basically went for brian burns ankle like he was a a Brazilian jiu-jitsu like leg lock specialist. Yeah, that's essentially what happened on the play. And Mac Jones just continues to prove that he is the best rookie quarterback out there right now. He's got it all. I mean, Justin Fields wouldn't have done that. No comment. I, I put that I don't out think, there as merely fact. I don't think the system is uh, has put Justin Fields in position for a leg lock for heel hooks. <laughs> yes. You think Matt Nagy's taught taught him a leg lock? <laughs> Mac has Bill Belichick in there. He knows all the tricks of the trade. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me. So uh, anyway, this is, uh, by the way, I found him. I found him. Who? Rob Merkaba. Is in the, is, he's in the comments on YouTube. He's a Sam Monson stan. He's a huh. Sam stan. Okay. He said, I'm the only one. That's oh. guy. Only one. You finally have a fan. I'll take That's one. awesome. Uh, what do you think of the Patriots? Let's get back on track here. Not that that wasn't awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited for our discussion this morning here. Uh, Patriots are five and four. Yeah, but they are a half game behind the Buffalo Bills for first in the AFC East. Bills are five and three. Now that is interesting, but nothing has changed for the Patriots in terms of they've essentially beaten the teams that they should have beaten. Minus not the minus, Chargers. The yeah, Chargers is the one. With the game. Yeah, the Chargers. That's the way of praying. The, the Chargers is the one game that deviates from their pattern of beating bad teams and losing to good teams. The Chargers is like the one game that you can say, okay, that's a team they probably. They, they shouldn't necessarily have beaten just by the fact that they are a better team. On the other hand, they're a late fumble. Week one, late fumble. It's their fault, but they fumbled. <laughs> but it was a late fumble away from probably beating the Dolphins. The Dolphins. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's a game that they lost that they, that they could have won. Okay. A late field goal against the Bucks. I mean, they're, they're a couple plays away from 7-2. and two. I know that, I know you can do that with everybody. I'm just saying, I think the Patriots are dangerous. The other weird split here is they're 1-4 at home, 4-0 on the road right now. But New England, well, while everybody, all these top teams, the Bills and the Chiefs, are faltering these last few weeks, all of a sudden the Patriots got a little win streak going, and, and they're lurking. They're lurking. Lurking. So just... I uh, mean, the fact that they've closed up, they've closed right up on Buffalo is the interesting thing. Yeah. The we like our PFF power rankings have given the Bills like a ninety plus percent chance of winning that division for a while now. This might be the biggest drop, right? All in of a sudden, odds. that isn't a guarantee anymore. Um, so those always update over at PFF.com. Yeah, usually late Monday, sometime Monday. Yeah, I believe, after right. Uh, do they? I think they wait until after Monday. After Monday, so th those. It's a great way to see division odds and uh, Super Bowl odds and the whole thing, and you can see that over at PFF.com. The Bills. Um, that's going to drop drastically. Let's get into that Bills game. The good old 9-6 to ball game. Jaguars win 9-6. to Look at Urban Meyer. His first win on American soil. He's going to be so happy. His first win on American soil. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's going to be so, like, just, you know, Urban Meyer after defeat, it's just misery. It's like yeah, going but- through the motions. It's just, it's, he's bitter at the world, right? Everybody in the building hates to be around him. It's a nightmare for everybody. Like, he was like that in the preseason. Can you imagine what it's like? It's like eight week, eight, nine weeks into this thing when it's just misery after misery. He's going to be so happy now. I, I wouldn't know. I've never had a boss who's, um, whose mood was dictated by uh, whether or not you won or lost, you know, how, how things are going. And or blood sugar level. And or blood sugar level. Yeah. I wouldn't know. But I do know. I wonder if they've been treating Urban the same way. It's like throwing him a protein bar when he's been in the particularly, particularly yeah. high peaks of, of rage. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day. Like, if this is, uh, if you need something, this is the time to ask. Oh, the Urban, ja- right? like the Jags front office staff is buying new chairs. They're like new TVs yeah. for the office. Anything you, you had on the wish list that you haven't Urban's been given. Like, yeah, I get it. Right. Monday. Just, we got all the money. Budget, budget means He's just nothing. throwing people the credit card. He's being excited. like, yeah, yeah. Whatever you need to get the job done. But you got to do it before Tuesday. Yes. Just in case there's a bad practice there. Right. Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, really Wednesday. If there's a bad Wednesday practice, you lose all that. So going into this game, you know, like certain games, there's a, I don't want to blame, I don't want to make this a specifically ESPN thing, but there's always like a weird storyline that, you know, isn't particularly football relevant, but is like a quirky name or, you know, whatever. And the storyline going into this game was that a Josh Allen, a, a player with the same name has never sacked his counterpart in, in NFL history. It's a big story. Josh Allen had never, has never sacked a Josh Allen, like that equivalent. Now, players with the same name have played each other before. Todd Collins played Todd Collins or whatever, but they've never been, there's never been a sack interaction. Right. So going into this game, it was like, if Josh Allen sacks Josh Allen, it will be an NFL first. Now, not only did Josh Allen sack Josh Allen, but Josh Allen also picked off Josh Allen, and Josh Allen fumbled a, a fum, or recovered a fumble from Josh Allen in addition to tackling Josh Allen in the course of this game. It's like... the. Like the football gods just went, you know the what? Trifecta. As fun as the sack would be, why don't we just make this game just the Josh Allen takes down Josh Allen game? Let's just keep it going. It, it was, was like the other Josh Allen had just been fed up of being the other Josh Allen for like the last couple of years and went, to hell with this. This is the day I reclaim my name. And those were pretty much the plays that dictated this game. Yeah. That was it. I mean, look, the Jags defense had been torn to shreds by pretty much everyone and then they come in they got pressure a ton they got a ton of pressure something like uh 40 or so of josh allen's dropbacks were under pressure josh allen the quarterback yes well done josh allen the edge does uh does get the sack um probably the most egregious play so josh allen the quarterback also <laughs> two interceptions you mentioned the fumble but also three total turnover worthy plays um we did have some astute listeners who aren't that astute just kind of throwing turnover turnovers at us for Josh Allen how they were down but he had been playing with fire this season you had the Texans game where he kept firing at linebackers this was a little bit of uh, a little bit of you know reverting back to you know correction what am I looking for here what's the word I'm looking for edge edge rusher Josh Allen has been quietly having like quite an impressive season yes he is and actually when you look at his career he's basically gotten better every year um, at Which least is in terms what he of did grade. at Kentucky. He was a late bloomer at Kentucky. So pass rush grade, 70 as in 2019, 74 in 2020, and right now he's up at 78. Um, he's already got more total pressures than all of last year, admittedly on a similar number of pass rushes because um, obviously injuries played a part there. Overall grade, 68, 70, 
85.6. So he's like, he's getting better year on year. And this season has been pretty decent. Yeah, the most um, the most egregious play, the one where Josh Allen, the edge, really benefited was um, there is just, there's something going around the league where QBs, is it more than ever? They just really feel the need to force it while they're getting hit. Well, this is like, we've had a, there's a run of this type of quarterback, right? The Mahomes, the Josh Allens, the Carson Wentz's of the world. They're all of a similar style in terms of never say die, you know, make something special happen when it all looks like it's doomed. The problem is, <laughs> there's an obvious downside to those plays. And that's the reason most quarterbacks, like, that's the reason Peyton Manning never did that, right? Is because in the greater scheme of things over the long haul, that typically didn't work out for quarterbacks, right? right. And when it didn't, terrible things happened. So Peyton Manning was much more of the opinion that you're better off just chucking those plays away rather than risk the downside of what can happen. Those guys, we've been riding for this wave for a while of the good things that can happen. Look at all these crazy plays Mahomes makes or look at the stuff that Josh Allen can do. Whence it's been, you know, more 50-50. But all of a sudden, it's like we're being reminded why most quarterbacks didn't play that way. This, uh, yeah, it, it really has all caught up, right? So this, uh, the Josh Allen interception, the quarterback here, um, when he was getting tackled and he chucks it up to the other Josh Allen, uh, the Jags blitz, and they did a nice job. They got some unblocked pressure on Josh Allen. Like they, they, they won some one-on-ones up front, the Jags, and they also created some unblocked pressure. That battle up front was a big reason why the Jaguars won. But this particular play, he's, if, if Allen recognizes it quicker, he's got, I believe it's Devin Singletary coming out of the backfield, wide open. Wide open underneath for probably a 10-yard gain. And this is, it's third and 12, right? And it's third and 12, it's the third quarter, it's six to six, Buffalo. This is what Buffalo did last week, by the way. What was it, three to three for a while against Miami? Yeah. And then they kind of came out of it late. The Bills did not come out of it late in this particular game. But Josh Allen, this is the... This is the times when the Bradys and Breezes of the world, they just, they just dump it off and get rid of it, right? And for all the spectacular plays, like you said, you run into this one where it's like, let me try to juke this rusher. Let me try to do too much. And he's getting spun down, tackled to the ground. Josh Allen, the edge, comes from the other side of the field. He doesn't even have to go that far because Josh Allen, the quarterback, kind of throws it right to him. Yeah. Just an egregious turnover. But I think this wasn't the only play that did it, but these are the decisions Allen's got to get better at. This is a great example of a game that just made no damn sense, right? Like, you, yeah, you I'm can, trying to make sense of it over here. And I know, you just, but yeah, I, you're right. Like, you summed it up. In, in retrospect, you can go back and you can point to certain things that happened in this game, and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, Josh Allen, the quarterback, is responsible here, and they could have gotten better here, and, you know, all these kind of things. But in reality, this was just – this was the NFL. Like, this was, this was the epitome of on, an, on any given Sunday – any team in this league can beat any other team in this league for no freaking reason whatsoever. Other than, like, sometimes sense just has to go out the window in order to make something magical happen. And that's what had to happen here. In order for Josh Allen to beat Josh Allen, we needed to see some, like, logic disappear out the window. And that's what happened here. Logic vanished so that Josh Allen could both sack, intercept, tackle, and recover a fumble from Josh Allen. I can't believe it. It's incredible. I mean, the, the internet went nuts just on the sack, and then you got an interception and the fumble recovery. Yeah, because, like, Red Zone or whatever had been, big, bigging, had been bigging it up as a possibility heading into the game. It's like, if Josh Allen sacks Josh Allen, it'll be the first time that's ever happened in NFL history. 
And then you just kept doing other things to Josh Allen as well and racking up yet the, more ridiculous The fumble is just as egregious. It's just a keeper yeah. for Allen, and he didn't even read it right. I mean, the, the, the defender is right there, and he runs right into him. It's third and two, and that's in the fourth quarter. I mean, those the turnovers were the biggest story for the Bills. Um, the best quarterback in this game, and probably of the week, C.J. Beathard. <laughs> I mean, the dude makes two throws. Hits the, um, I don't want to call it a cover two shot because he kind of threw, like, lobbed it up and it kind of got there in the cover two hole. But he had the throw of the week. Just roll into his right, chucks it back, deep crosser, dropped in the end zone. Well, this is the best throw of the entire week. So, again, if you sample size be damned here, if you go mm. use your premium stats when, when this game comes through, you'll see facts. Yeah. CJ Bathard, number one, CJ Tom Brady, Bathard. number two. Yeah, Bathard's the best quarterback in the NFL. That's all this I need season. to see. And he just confirmed it I mean, look, yesterday. C.J. Beathard has a, has a big-time throw rate of 33% <laughs> and a turnover-worthy play <laughs> rate of zero. Yet? Is this game officially live? Yeah. It is. So the, so the data is live. It's there. Promo code is 20, uh, NFL Pod for 25% off. You guys still awake in there? Also 16 Ah, look at it. There it is. 25% off. And you can go to <laughs> you get your PFF Elite Package. You go to Premium Stats. And you go check out C.J. Beathard, uh, probably the NFL MVP. Look at you, all Tony Romoing over there. Can we get production to put up the graphic down here so I can, you know, talk over it? This might be a four-hour show. You have a general disdain. Disdain is that strong? Yeah, for Romo, it's strong. Okay, I take that back. <laughs> Some things that Tony Romo does annoy you. A little bit. Yeah. The most recent. I mean, thing I never is bought in talking to the the booth. I never bought into the shtick of just like predicting the play. Like, everyone was like, ah, oh, this is amazing. I mean, is it? He's just, like, a lot of them were wrong. It's not that amazing. Like, it's also not really what I'm in, like, what I'm tuning in to hear a color commentator do. You know, guess the play. I can do that myself. Like, I don't need somebody else sitting there in the booth doing it. Especially as an NFL quarterback. It's like, oh, they dropped the safety down here. We're right. going to run here. Like, it's I mean, you know. Some pretty so that wore, that wore thin pretty quickly to but me. But what are you annoyed at right now? What I just but did. Now, so now he's taken to, like, essentially directing the show, right? Like, hey, roll up these replays. Pause it here. Let me uh, – now, Jim, go to, go to break. So there's a dude – like. There's a guy that does that typically in your ear and more, most importantly, not with a live mic broadcasting it to like other humans who are tuning in to listen to you break down the game. You That's what, what I mean? a quarterback does, though. He directs just traffic. takes over. He gets to the line of scrimmage. He sets the protection. You know, audibles the route concept, whatever he needs to do. Uh-huh. That's what that's what that's what I'm Romo's used to. Give me a keep to leave. So um, should I stop doing should I stop talking to our guys you, and directing? Do we want to do? I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. Anyway, Bills fall, nine to six, to the Jags. Josh Allen fell to Josh Allen, literally. Yes, the Josh Allen Jaguar wins. We also had a David Long versus David Long game. A lot of yeah, but they're both the other David Long. Like neither one of them is the. I gotcha. David Long. I gotcha. So Josh Allen established dominance in this game for the Jaguars. <laughs> the edge, yeah. who is uh, breaking out this season. Uh, can we just get the? Uh, let me fake excitement here. The Texans. And the Dolphins. <laughs> I have never had so many people tweet at me than when it was announced that Tua would miss this game and Jacoby Brissett would be playing, and I was going to get my Tyrod Taylor versus Jacoby Brissett game. Yes, yeah, so there, there are certain things that happen. So the Dolphins win 17-9. There are certain things that happen that make you feel like, 
wow, we've, we're, we're, we're reaching people. Like people are actually listening, right? Every now and again, something happens on the field and people are like, oh, look at this, you called this or you said it. So this was like your moment for you, mm. right? When uh, Tua goes down with a finger injury, um, yeah. just like what, two hours before the game? Like this was- I mean, he didn't like, yeah, the, he, was in that, like he was ruled out two hours. It was not like he injured it two hours before Yeah, but the when game. did the injury start? I think he's been dealing with it for a while and they just did. Just decided, couldn't go today? Yeah, done. The injury proneness of Tua. Oh, by the way, one more thing we need to mention about the Jags Bills game. Um, the other thing at play there, not only was the not only was fate conspiring to make the Josh Allen Josh Allen thing happen, but that is the latest example of the Manning cast curse. Oh yeah, the every Manning single cast. player that has appeared on the Manning cast has lost the following week. This isn't just like three players. This it's like is like eight or something at eight. this point. Yeah, like it's Since making one. It's making Madden blush. Yeah. So Madden took eight years. So of course Josh Allen curse. was going to lose the quarterback in Josh Allen. Anyway, back to this game. Now back to this game. So Steve. it's announced that Jacoby Brissett. So if you guys were listening to the preview show, we didn't spend much time talking about this game. We're probably not going to spend much time talking about it right now. But you were lamenting the fact that it wasn't Jacoby Brissett versus Tyrod Taylor, two of your just you know favorite guys to watch. Mm-hmm. This was one where like the idea of what this game was going to be in my head was better than the reality of what this game ended up being. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett, it's like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And it kind of wasn't. i got to say the opposite because uh, this went about as expected for me. I'm not a Tyrod stan. I'm not a but like, Jacoby Brissett Every stan. now and again, Tyrod does these kinds of things where you're like, you're a pretty good quarterback most of the time, and then randomly you just like throw the ball to a dude when you're going out of bounds, and it stays in. Like, what are you doing? That was amazing. He just like shovel. It was one of those ones. You know when a guy is running out of bounds and he's like a yard behind the line of scrimmage. And like, why don't they just toss it forward to stop taking the one yard loss of a <laughs> right. sack? Right. He did that. Only he forgot to throw it off the field and threw it like in bounds to a linebacker who had already run off the field and had enough time with this ridiculous floating loop thing to get back on the field, reestablish his feet in bounds, catch the ball, and was like <laughs> interception. It was brutal. It was bad. Um, so that was like the tie rod that turned up in this game, at which point you're like, all right, now, now the only thing to watch is Jacoby Brissett. And Jacoby, you know that thing of like nothing good happens after 2 a.m.? Yes. With Jacoby, it's like nothing good happens after four seconds in the play. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yet the problem with that is he seems to spend most of his time trying to get the play beyond four seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm to the inevitable conclusion of bad things happening. I, I came to the conclusion this game that Jacoby Brissett is a human Wilhelm scream. You know what that is? I don't. So the Wilhelm scream, yes, you, you'll have heard the Wilhelm scream. Okay. The Wilhelm scream is this famous uh, cliched like sound effect that is used in like hundreds of movies. Oh, okay, yeah, I can hear it. Yes, yeah, you'll yeah. know it. Like yeah. it's it's in every movie you can think of. It's when a dude dies, it's the Wilhelm scream. Like it happened in some movie like back in the 60s or whatever, and then it became like a Hollywood in joke. But essentially any significant death, maiming, shooting, yeah, yeah. injury of any kind in Hollywood in the last like 50 years has been accompanied by the Wilhelm scream. So my point is essentially, that's Jacoby Brissett in human quarterbacking form. It's usually funny, glorious, the best part of the movie, but it's like inevitable tragedy. You know what I mean? And it's, it's still fun to watch, this but it's just like at love. some point, you know, 
make a good thing happen. This is why you love watch, uh, watching him, huh? Yeah, because it's kind of funny. But it is like, it's it's pointless. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like at some point you want to pay off at the end of this. It's like as fun as this is, we can't just have endless death. There's got to be like, you know, rebirth to this or at least some po- kind of positivity. Anytime I can get Ben Stockwell onto the show, I try to do it. He's an astute listener. Astute listener. Yeah, loves listening. Doesn't to sound it. like Ben. No, he... Because he corrects us all the time. He's pretty astute. I don't think that means him astute. That just makes us pretty bad at our jobs. That's also possible. Ben's attention to detail is incredible. I've mentioned before he is the... Uh, Did you lose a bet or something? What is... No, I'm just saying Ben's... There, there are people behind the scenes at PFF that, always, that don't always get the recognition. Ben is one of the great football minds of our, of our time. <laughs> is he not? I just... This is quite effusive. I'm, I'm just trying to set up because he summed up the game okay. for me, and I'm going to read his one-sentence summary, and I'm trying to set On you the go. stage for who Ben Stockwell is for the people who don't know. Okay, He developed the PFF grading system. He did. So direct all hate to PFF <laughs> underscore Ben, not me. It's not, like it's not Sam. People like, they're always, oh, Steve graded this guy. Oh, it's not me. It's Ben. It's Ben's system. He developed this whole thing. Mm. Blame him. You should really Players. give out his email address. We should. Maybe even his, his postal address. You could send him, you know. You could probably figure s- out his email address. <laughs> He's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> do, do with that what you, what you want. It's like four people understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, None of them listen to the podcast. Well, Neil can email him now at his real address because he knows. Anyway, Ben says, both teams knew that the other sucked. Threw cover zero and other blitzes at each other all day. They were correct that each other sucked and one team had to not lose. Yeah. That's the game. Dolphins win 17-9 to over the Texans. Great. Next. Yes. Beautiful. Where are we going here? Cleveland, 41. Oh, Bengals, man. 16. This is all kinds of takes now. PFF NFL Daily. We did cover. Hey, Cleveland's better. They're officially better. This is it. Sealed the deal. We're not going to overreact here to one game. This is f- three and a half years of evidence here. 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. Three and a half years. Uh-huh. Baker's been in the league. Three and a half years of evidence. They're better without OBJ. So we talked about it on the PFF NFL Daily today. Huge win for the Cleveland Browns. Disappointment for the Cincinnati Bengals. Discuss. Um, yeah, like the, the Baker being better without OBJ thing at this point, I don't think is arguable. The question is why, right? Like for a while, there was definitely an argument about whether or not that was true, particularly heading into this year because – as we discussed at length, you could basically throw out almost all of last season for various different reasons. So we, don't, we didn't know if that was actually... There was definitely evidence pointing in that direction, but you could throw out a lot of it or explain it away or argue it or whatever. Now it's just not... It's just obvious. Um, but we don't know why. The Browns have kind of put out this idea that, hey, look, all these plays where Odell is open, he's not necessarily open at the right spot or the right time for the ball to arrive this is a timing offense and we need the receiver to be where he's supposed to be at a given point in the play and that's where the breakdown is um there's probably an element of look this is their side of the story and the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle and i think that's ultimately why it hasn't worked because the the point is both things are true Odell is open when the ball should be coming his way, and there's also plenty of plays where he's open at the wrong time in the wrong place. And for some reason, just the chemistry of the two hasn't worked, right? Like, you know, uh, like baking is supposed to be a very exact science, and if you screw up the ratios of the things, you end up with something dramatically different than the cake that was supposed to come out of the oven. It's the Browns offense. 
Yeah, like the ingredients are all there. They're the same things that are supposed to produce this lovely cake, and instead they produce this like brick of doughy ugliness. That's what's happened to Cleveland. And eventually they've decided that enough is enough. Let's just not try and do this again. We're, it's just not going to work. Get rid of them. And all of a sudden, Baker goes back to being a pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Um, so for them, it's massively encouraging because if they can get that down the stretch, they're still in contention in their division and in the playoffs, and they could still make noise again because their defense is good and their rushing attack is good and their offensive line is good. Like the problem was this passing malaise when Baker and Odell were trying to connect. Baker with an 89.8 grade. Uh, by far his best of the season. The thing that looked different is just he was throwing on time. I mean, look, we talked about it on the daily as well. Every offense has elements of timing and rhythm. There are a few offenses that are like, oh, yeah, go do whatever you want. And this isn't to suggest that OBJ was just like doing his own thing and ad-libbing and not being a part of the offense and all that stuff. But what I see with Baker Mayfield is him throwing on time, throwing accurately in this game. Um, The Njoku pass, he throws a seam route to Njoku for a touchdown. If you guys have uh, Game Pass and you have the All-22 and all that stuff, go back and watch that play. I don't know if they showed a good replay or not. He threw that ball so early. And I think the biggest complaint with uh, with Baker Mayfield over the, over the few years is similar to the Aaron Rodgers thing. It's similar to Mahomes. He doesn't always throw on time. He doesn't always throw with anticipation. And not that he's incapable, not that Rodgers or Mahomes isn't. There's just certain times they, they give up open throws to go – you know, play Sandlot football. And all of a sudden, like Baker threw this pass incredibly early to Njoku and puts it just in a perfect spot, a yard or two into the end zone. It was incredible. And to me, it's like, that's the difference in this Browns offense. Baker, his back foot hits and he's getting rid of the ball far more often yeah. when there's no OBJ there. Even the Donovan Peoples-Jones, he hits the big, the the deep post. I mean, it was like, Hits the top of his drop, puts it up, and he gets it. It's also Donovan Peoples-Jones getting to be that deep target because he is legit size speed. He is a legitimate downfield threat, and he's proven that the last two years. And there's a real chance that he breaks out in a, in a meaningful way without Odell Beckham in the lineup. Donovan Peoples-Jones this season has an insane like yards per reception figure, but a terrible yards per route run figure. So essentially, he's been on the field a ton barely gets thrown the ball but when he does it's a huge play and you have to ask yourself like how many realistic targets would he have gotten if Odell Beckham hadn't been there you know not not just getting targets but also like making the offense bogged down because of whatever happens when Odell and Baker are in the game at the same time take Odell out of the lineup and all of a sudden people's Jones a moves like one peg higher up on the depth chart and therefore the target distribution but b like the offense is just more efficient, and the ball is probably going his way more as, an, as, a nat- as a matter of course. So he could have a legitimate breakout. The other thing that came out of this game is that like the Bengals have been riding this Jamar Chase thing in terms of like how many of their games this season have been determined by Jamar Chase making an incredible big play. Yeah, That swung all the way back with a vengeance in this game. Like Not only did he not make the big plays – but the Browns DBs were making plays on the on the plays where he was typically making big plays. You know, deep shot to Jamar Chase, um, Greg Newsom 
covers him tight all the way, ends up breaking it up. I think uh, was it Denzel Ward had a pass breakup on a deep shot to him, or some one one of the other corners did. Denzel Ward obviously has the the ninety nine yard, hundred yard pick six on a target intended for Jamar Chase. Chase fumbled one time. Like everything that could possibly go wrong on a pass intended for Jamar Chase went wrong in this game. And when that happens, like it's obviously a completely different Bengals offense. Yeah, that was. Um... You're right. I mean, there were there were there were many games. Was it a few weeks ago too? They only had, they had, they only had like a handful of first downs, but it didn't matter. Like Jamar Chase took one eighty three yards. It right. Was that that Ravens game, right? The Ravens so, game. Yeah, it was a, a couple of plays. It's kind of the opposite. So the other part of this, the Cleveland thing, is they had a bunch of guys with just one or two catches. It, by the way, it's not like Baker Mayfield just straight dominated this game, and that's the reason why they won. They had a seventy yard touchdown from Nick Chubb. They had the pick six from Denzel Ward. The Cleveland passing attack didn't have to do a whole lot. Cleveland is better, it seems, when they're spreading the ball around and you know whoever the star is in that week is the star. With the Bengals, they have been very Jamar Chase heavy. And to your point, I think that did catch up in this particular game. You also saw the offensive line. Uh, the guards got beat up a little bit. I mean, it was, it was ugly at times as far as the pass rush goes. I think the thing, the other, my other takeaway here is Cleveland's defense for the first time, and I don't know if we're going to, draw a line in the sand and say this was the week but Cleveland's defense maybe for the first time this year really looked like what we thought they could be coming into the season the players that we thought could be good that they added this offseason whether it was John Johnson making plays Denzel Ward as you mentioned with the pick six making plays Greg Newsom had a couple pass breakups in there um, three pass breakups actually and then you know the pass rush was kind of hit or miss but was this the first time the Browns defense, particularly the secondary, stepping up and playing football the way we thought they could? And was it is this a turning point for the Cleveland defense because they had so many new pieces this offseason and now we're in week nine and, you know, maybe they're going to be better going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's been a while for, for John Johnson to have uh, the kind of impact we thought he should have. But... Denzel Ward has missed some time this season and their other corners have therefore had a lot of exposure to game time um, and they've mostly played really well and I think that's probably a good thing for this defense overall now you get Denzel Ward back Greedy Williams left this game after a few snaps injured but Greedy Williams has played really well this season when he's been on the field Um, Greg Newsom as well has played well Troy Hill has been effective so all of a sudden you've got like four corners that can legitimately play and do good things for your defense in addition to a guy like John Johnson. A.J. Green, who's like their fifth corner, made a few plays. Like continuing, by the way, the week of like the other namesake showing up, you know, the the cornerback A.J. Green having himself a couple of big plays. Um, So, yeah, all of a sudden the Browns have got like four or five corners that can contribute. John Johnson at safety. They have a legitimate secondary. They're still going to get J.O.K. back He's coming back, right? Like he's. I think so. Um, to. So all like you have a lot of players in the back seven that can be effective in the pass game. Uh, the Joe Burrow interception, that first one to Denzel Ward, that was poor. It is. Uh, this happened a bunch this week. Just quarterbacks leaving out routes inside. You get the Denzel Ward one. Uh, Tannehill had one for the Titans. Who else was I uh, just watching again today? I mean, there was a bunch that those outbreaking routes were corner seemed to sit on it um the Browns were just they were just on 
pretty much everything that the Bengals had. Yeah, that we're doing. I mean, Burrow had a couple. It was the pick six. Um, it was also the one that got like batted in the air, but that was a pass that was left behind the receiver um, that you know had to take a deflection before it was turned. Like, right, that was behind the receiver was. Uh, was that Chase too? Was, I think so, yeah. was reaching behind him on that particular pass? Yeah, Burrow was just off. I don't think he was a disaster in this game. He made uh, other nice throws as well, but um, yeah, he he was just off a little bit more than he had been in the past. Um, so to me, it was it was just this is that this is the Browns team that we had talked about all offseason, right? This is the be- one of the best rosters in the NFL. They can win different ways. They can win with the. Uh, run game they can win with defense and now baker mayfield playing in rhythm and playing effectively so maybe this is dangerous cleveland going forward yeah uh just quickly two weeks ago the bengals were the number one seed in the afc if the playoffs had started two weeks ago yeah even less like our friends in cincinnati would have loved that if the playoffs had started. whatever like just before that sunday it would have been right like eight eight days ago the bengals were the number one seed yeah now they're last in the afc north yeah. Whereas, conversely, the Browns have gone from being last in the AFC North to suddenly right back in contention. Right back in the thick of it. And we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight, you know, seeing if they can keep pace in the competitive AFC North. Let's go. Uh, here's one of the bigger surprises of the weekend. Denver 30 to Dallas. Well, they end up 16. But this was, I mean, it was 30 to nothing. This is, this is a beatdown by the Denver Broncos. 10-point underdogs. And they were up 30 to nothing. Yeah into the fourth quarter they traded von miller this week oh and that, that, that's that's your thing that's this is just the trend right now right you trade obj yeah you got no von miller you got no derrick henry you just lose all these star players and then teams are better less is more the ewing theory as bill simmons like to uh establish years ago you lose your star everybody else steps up and they're better so but people are gonna they're gonna say oh denver von miller was holding denver back yeah this was uh, unexpected. I yeah. don't, I don't, very impressive win by Denver. This is one of the like makes no sense um, games. Like this, this is had no relevance to what's happened in the last few weeks whatsoever. There's just absolutely no connection. Denver had been struggling even on defense where we were saying, you know, like we kind of saw the offensive regression coming after the first few weeks. We were like, ah, Denver's defense does look legit, like for real. They they might hang in there even when this regression hits the offense. No, like they they'd fallen off a cliff as well. weren't getting pressure on anybody. The back end wasn't holding up either. Like they were getting wrecked. And Dallas conversely had been flying even when they had to go to a backup quarterback with no Dak. The offense still looked good because those receivers and the offensive line is great. Just just. There's no way this game should have gone this way. And yet it was an absolute, it wasn't even close. Denver was just dominating on offense. You know, Trevon Diggs getting beaten instead of getting interceptions. Um, he Dallas's didn't get to salvage offense, his grade with uh, an interception in this one. Dallas's offense couldn't get anything done. Like it took until, what, four minutes left in the game before they put up any points at all? Yeah. Um, bizarre result. Um, it's, it, Trevon Diggs got. Got beaten pretty badly. Uh, three catches for 64 yards. Had another penalty in there. Had a nice pace, pass breakup. Did he have one penalty or two? Lost the penalty. Two penalties in there for Diggs. I mean, you just can't keep up with Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick was owning him. Tim Patrick is a free agent, by the way. We're putting our free agent rankings together. They're going to be over at pff.com. Tim Patrick will be in the top 50 because the 6'5 dude just wins, man. He can move for 6'5. 
wins down the field on a nice touchdown. Teddy hit him in stride. It was a beautiful throw. Uh, but Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, uh, just making plays. I mean, this, this is the game which explains why Trayvon Diggs is not Defensive Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. He had four targets, gave up three catches for 64 yards and a touchdown and a pass rating of 156.3. And on top of that, he had two coverage penalties. Yeah. And unless you're going to get an interception, like, that's not good. Like, you know, even if you got an interception, there would be a debate as to whether that's a net win or a loss, right? Like, is it, where does, where's the line between giving up uh, stuff in coverage and being able to offset it with a crucial turnover, which changes everything, right? Um, I, I'm not sure anybody's correctly answered that yet, like where that line is, because obviously it's a fluid thing based off exactly how much you give up, where those plays are, all those kinds of things. But wherever it is, if you don't get the pick, now all you're bringing is the bad stuff. And, and on top of that, here's what we, we need to explain too. Coverage stats, coverage results whether it's PFF doing it, whether it's next-gen stats doing it, if you're charting all that stuff, it is one of the most inconsistent things in football. And it just, it just is. Like, if you're looking at production stats for coverage players, it's, it's inconsistent because it's quarterback-dependent. So it's quarterback-dependent on, you know, like if Teddy, Teddy's got to hit Tim Patrick in stride for that beautiful throw to have a 30-yard touchdown or whatever it was. But also for Trevon Diggs to have seven interceptions – you need he made some great plays out of those seven, but mm-hmm. you need a Leonard Fournette drop. You need Jalen Hurts to another leave one inside on an out route. Look, I mean, you're just dependent on bad quarterback play as well for interceptions. So that's kind of like the dig story. Chances are he wasn't going to finish the season with 17 interceptions. He probably wasn't going to get one per game. So at some point, the bigger sample size is those other five targets per game, those right. other seven targets per game, and that's just kind of catching up. A little bit. I mean, that's not the complete reason. Um, no, obviously. I mean, there were you know thirty nothing down late in the game. The other the other weird thing that happened in this game. If you said, um, how did the offensive line play for the Cowboys? And if you're a Cowboys fan, you would say atrocious. Everything was terrible. Um, the reality of the situation was Terrence Steele. Went, he moved from right tackle to left tackle. He was the one who really really struggled, and it was a factor. I mean, there were a lot of plays mm-hmm. where Dak was either under pressure or. Dak also did a lot of that, like, vacating backwards through the pocket, and it made it look like the left tackle's giving it up. But, but everybody else along the line, Connor Williams, Ty, uh, Tyler Biotish, Zach Martin, and Lyle Collins, all kind of graded well from a pass protection standpoint. This was one of those games where it was like Terrence Steele was an issue at left tackle, and that was the issue. I don't know if it, that was the reason why the offense was so bad, I, but it probably felt worse just because... It was, but it was just one guy, not the right. entire line that let them down. I do wonder if there's like game theory now to how you should shuffle an offensive line when guys get injured. Because it seems more and more that teams are doing weird things in terms of asking like which player to move. Because obviously like the problem is you, you have your starting five offensive linemen. Someone goes down and depending on who it is kind of dictates like where the problem arises and which player you should put in there. So... The Dallas Cowboys, they haven't had Lyle Collins for a while because he got suspended for... (laughs) um, How would you phrase that? Questionable dealings with the guy that tests him. Bribery? I would not say such a term on live air. Uh, Is that a a false accusation? (laughs) I mean, look, 
Steve Palazzolo has said these words. I want no part of describing what Lyle Collins did other than to say that it was a, an unusual interaction with the man that tests him for drugs. Uh, he's just trying to ensure that his urine didn't get to uh, the, the, the testing place. So anyway, while he's been out of the lineup, Terrence Steele has come in, who has a history of not being particularly good, but has actually been playing really quite well at right tackle, right? The history of not playing good. So then Lyle Collins comes back and you're like, well, wh I don't want to take Steele out of the lineup. He's actually been playing well. Plus, you know, we're not that inclined to reward Lyle Collins for what he's done. So we're kind of sort of sitting here with this extra alignment. Um, and they've been talking about, does he start at left guard? Like, do we put him in for Connor Williams and try and get him on the field that way? So anyway, you then have Tyron Smith go down and now you have this hole at left tackle. So do you take Terrence Steele, who has a fairly extensive history of not being a great NFL player, but has been playing well at right tackle, and flip him to the left side of the line? Or do you take Lyle Collins, the guy that's been the odd man out for the last couple of weeks, who you've been trying to get on the field in any old position, and say, you're playing left tackle in this game? If it was me, that's the move I'd have made. Like, leave the guy that's playing well where he's playing well and not mess with that and see what happens with Lyle Collins at left tackle. They went the other route. They took, they put Lyle Collins back at right tackle, who played well, but Terrence Steele was a disaster at left tackle. And it was one of those disasters that was like bad enough that it can completely change the game. Now again, wasn't the whole reason, but you add that to digs to all the other things that went wrong, and it certainly didn't help. Would you have, I mean, wouldn't you have said the same thing though? Like Collins has been the right tackle there for a few years. He hasn't been the left tackle for a while. He played left tackle at LSU. Right. And, and the two differences are, one, he did play left tackle at LSU and was a like, high-ranked prospect. Like six years ago. Seven yeah, years yeah. ago. But it was a high-ranked prospect when he was doing that. Two, three, in fact, reasons. Two, he hasn't been playing, right? It's not like you're unwiring everything that this guy's been in a rhythm over the last six weeks or whatever. The guy who's been on the shelf for a while hasn't got the game action. And three... He has a much higher baseline of regular play than Terrence Steele does. So those three things together, I would put him at left tackle rather than Steele. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I think I think guys can make the switch over time, but in those small samples where you need you need immediate production, you do probably want to not move guys as much as possible going forward, as far as the game theory goes on the offensive line. And Steele was a college right tackle. So he doesn't even have like the history of, you know, playing well at left tackle at a high level at any point in his life, right? Yeah. His final season, he's a right tackle in college. His only good play in the NFL is at right tackle. He's playing well right now at right tackle. Don't move him. Leave him there. Lyle yeah. Collins, it's definitely not a sure thing. It's like, again, it's, it's playing the percentages, right? Which one has a better chance of being a decent left tackle thrown in there with a week's notice? My money would be on Lyle Collins. Theirs so, wasn't. The one thing I caught, remember when Baker Mayfield had uh, Greg Robinson and was it Chris Hubbard as yeah. his tackles? And in, even when they weren't giving up pressure, you just knew that he knew that those were his tackles. Oh, yeah. You knew that he knew that Greg Robinson was his left tackle. Yeah. I did get the feeling that Dak knew Tyron Smith wasn't there. Yeah, I'm sure that's He true. knew that, Ter that Terran Steele was the left tackle. He knew in part because he was getting hit from that side. Right. He also knew in part when there wasn't pressure and just was not feeling comfortable. It was also another one of those games, too. And as much, we analyze every single play. It's like, how do you explain this? Sometimes the quarterback makes bad plays. Sometimes when he makes a good play, it gets dropped. And sometimes it feels like offenses just go through those things. I think the Chiefs are going through it. 
other teams are going through it. The Rams did, went through last night. That was Dallas, too. Dak had some open throws that were, that were missed, open throws that were dropped when he did hit it. I mean, that was, that was the Dallas offense in this particular game. And, uh, look, Cooper Rush is undefeated. Dak's True. Done, so. It did feel like in this game, you know, if you, when you're just kind of looking up and things are going terribly – their offense can't get anything going. You're like, ah, don't worry. When they get Dak Prescott back, the offense will be back where it's supposed to be. It was like last year when they didn't have Dak and it was Andy yeah. Dalton and, you know, Ben DiNucci and whatever. It's like when Dak's back in the lineup, this offense will look different. But he was there and it, it was bad anyway. As much as we talk about Terrence Steele and what he gave up, well, Jonathan Cooper, the seventh-round rookie out of Ohio State, just continuing this run of Ohio State, incredible defensive lineman here in the NFL. Jonathan Cooper with an 80 grade in this game, seven pressures, a couple sacks, uh, really stepped up, career-high 56 snaps, so he had a great game. Again, all these stats and grades, pff.com. Use the promo code NFLPOD for 25% off. But Cooper with a huge game as he has to, you know, he has to be one of the guys that steps up with Vaughn Miller moving on. So impressive for the Broncos. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they were an afterthought for us, right? We just figured they started 3-0, they're going to taper off, now they're back to 5-4, and four, and that's in the middle of the AFC West run here. Bounce back game for Teddy Bridgewater. Had some really nice throws, like the bomb to Tim Patrick over Trayvon Diggs was a really nice throw. Um, it doesn't look like he's capable of doing it for a full season, but like if Teddy Bridgewater plays at that level... That is good enough for Denver to win some games. Also, I know we can get fired for this, right? We've got limits for how many times we can mention mention running back. You know, that's in our contract. We can't yeah. mention running backs, especially positive things about running backs. We have a limit. But now that Derrick Henry's hurt, we can probably use, take some of the Derrick Henry love and spread it around against to other running backs. Hmm. So I'm going to give it to Javante Williams. He was really good. Yeah, the rookie running back. Seven missed tackles forced on his 17 carries and uh, 64 yards after contact, almost four yards after contact per rush. Um, he's been tough. To, he was tough to tackle at UNC. And the, uh, the two-headed monster of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, they've, uh, they've had some moments this year, but Javante was really good yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Melvin Gordon was pretty good as well. Like, he was. He had 80 yards on his own, uh, 50 after contact. By the way, we, we got official uh, resolution of the fact that Chris still listens. He texted us and told us. He did. Yeah, he did. So, so we're about we're an hour and fifteen into the show. Like we were talking about that pretty late. I think Chris. Yeah. It might take him the week to get through our Monday review show, but he gets through it. I'm just saying we don't need to test it anymore by like you know yeah. getting deeper and deeper into the show and more and more uh, out there. We, also, we know Chris could fire us for a lot of different things, but he wouldn't fire us for talking about running backs. That wasn't directed toward him. That was just you know other edicts. No, he'll fire us for other reasons. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. other reasons, but he's listening. So yeah, we're gonna. Best behavior going forward here. We won't won't call out the boss for anything or do any of that stuff. <laughs> anyway, impressive win for the Denver Broncos. Where are we going next in the 1 o'clock slate here? We're almost through it. Atlanta Falcons 27, New Orleans Saints 25. Man, the Falcons really wanted to give this game away. They really, really wanted to. <sighs> they were playing up. Uh, Falcons were playing a really good ball game early on. I mean, they were the Saints. I sound like an old man. Good ball game, you know. Saints. Saints defense. You're pretty old. I am. Saints defense had been playing really well, making life difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Matt Ryan, though, was picking him apart thanks to uh, wide receiver one, Cordero Patterson. Every time I tried, oh, he's not really a one. He's not, he can't get off press. And he, you know, his corners are in his hip pocket. And all of a sudden, Cordero Patterson breaks out. This is the Falcons offense, though, man. 
Yeah. Patterson but, and Pitts. But the thing is, they have tapped into this idea of using Patterson in particular. He's become the hybrid player that I've been talking about for like years, two years at this point. That if you just get this guy and make him a genuine positionless player and he has enough talent to get by at the receiver part of this, you have something special. And the Falcons are doing this on like back-to-back plays. They will shift him out and all of a sudden he's playing wide receiver against a linebacker or a safety. And that, like, Patterson has limitations as a wide receiver one. If you play him as a true X wide receiver and teams treat him as a true X wide receiver, it won't necessarily go that well. But if they don't treat him as a true X wide receiver and they throw a linebacker out there or a safety, then it's just stealing. Like he has the ability to beat those guys doing whatever he wants, particularly if all you're asking him to do is a relatively Spartan route tree. So if you just say, hey, go deep, it's a fade against a linebacker, I mean, that's just cheating. That, like, that's too easy. And then the next play, you can keep the defense in the exact same personnel group and you can shift them into the backfield. Or, you know, if they decide to learn from that mistake and go, oh, we can't have that happen, let's sub out and let's play him with an extra DB, all of a sudden you can put him in the backfield and now you're playing against a light box. The Falcons have tapped into this idea of how to make Patterson into a cheat code on offense to make the defense wrong every single snap just by personnel and if that wasn't enough now you have Kyle Pitts out there basically playing supersized wide receiver and you don't have anyone that can cover him doing that either yeah I I love it look the the run game didn't work in this particular game but what you're describing too is if you're going to have run game success if you're going to run the ball you want to be good you want to be efficient doing it you're stealing you're stealing a player in the box you're you're just you're creating a little bit more efficiency by taking a a guy that is uh, you know viewed as a wide receiver putting him in the backfield you're creating mismatches just like you're creating mismatches with a say a running back on a linebacker whatever it might be in the pass game and that like and kyle pitts is now such a weapon as that number one wide receiver that he's drawing people like marshawn Lattimore as the one-on-one coverage like Lattimore was covering kyle pitts as much as anybody in this game and kyle pitts you know got him for one big play but that's having an effect, right? Like if you are drawing the coverage of a guy like Marshawn Lattimore as a specific thing to take away your threat, that's opening things up for everybody else on that offense. And guys like Russell Gage or Cordero Patterson are able to have uh, beneficial looks because they're not drawing guys like that. Uh, Trevor Simeon actually uh, played decent. I thought the ball location was off on some stuff, um, even but even some of the drops, some key drops there by the, the Saints receivers. He was getting hosed yeah. by those guys. But he led the comeback. He led the comeback charge. Are you surprised? So when they announced Trevor Simeon as the starter, Taysom Hill did come back from the concussion. Yeah. He did play through two passes, <clears throat> you know, moved around, did the whole thing. I really thought Peyton was going to put us on. Like, Tri- yeah, Simeon's starting, and he would just take the first snap, and then it would be Taysom Hill's game. But it's not. It wasn't. Right. Were you surprised? I was surprised by that. I mean, I wouldn't do it. But I think, I think Sean Payton, I think all the way along, actually, he has taken the opinion that, the, that a standard quarterback plus Taysom Hill is a, is a greater net level than Taysom Hill minus Taysom Hill. You know what I mean? Like mm. Taysom Hill at quarterback no, minus Taysom Hill as offensive weapon is, a, is less than having him there as that. Particularly with the group of receivers that the Saints have. 
So I think that's part of the reason that Jameis won the job in the first place. And I think that's the reason that Trevor Simeon is starting a quarterback is because Peyton does actually value what Taysom Hill brings to the offense as a broader threat. And he can't do that if he's also the starting quarterback. Then we need to start talking about Taysom Hill's contract as an issue. And it's not start talking about it. It's not 144 million. Right. But it's like 12 million a year. Yeah. He's got a cap number of 7 million this year. It's an $8 million in a void void deal next year i mean then we have to start talking about a um an h back yeah making all that money a backup h a backup tight end an h back too an h back that can throw some passes then it's a horrible contract of course it's a horrible contract was that ever in dispute no because if if he was the quarterback that sean payton convinced us he could be or even just whatever he was last, like if he was the quarterback he was last year, which was he comes he comes in, has a few good games, they could run an offense with him and the whole thing. I mean then that's not bad for seven or eight million a year. He does also give you some like contingency and backup as a quarterback. I mean there's a like there's value in that. Yeah, but it's probably if you're, not twelve million a year, but Right. He's we actually debated him versus Jameis Winston yeah. before the season. And we, I agreed, let's go with, I decided, I said, let's go with Jameis Winston. I think at some point you said, go with Taysom Hill. Fine. There's a good debate there. There there should not be a good debate between Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon if, Tre- if Taysom Hill right. the, the is value, a reasonable backup. The value in his capability as a backup quarterback is the emergency in game where two guys go down. Or one guy, like now one guy goes down because you've already lost Jameis. But like in... If, if Sean Payton has time to work, it feels like he will always put a quarterback out there because he and have Taysom Hill as the contingency who brings something to the offense. But it feels like, but in, in game, like if Trevor Simeon goes down, there's nobody else. If you didn't have Taysom Hill, you would have to burn a roster spot on another quarterback, whereas now you, you can just carry that guy. So there's some value in that. I agree that it's a ridiculous contract for a guy that like essentially is somebody's pet project at this point. Um, but that would be the argument, is that he is a, an H-back who can throw and provides like a backup quarterback emergency option that other guys don't, or we'd have to carry another quarterback on the roster, and that would have its own associated costs. Falcons moved to 4-4. Four and four. They're sucking me back in here, Sam. I took him this week, right? Did I take him this I week? I think so, yeah. We should go back through our picks. That's your job. You're the one oh, yeah, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to go back. I, I, they suckered me back in this week. I thought... It was like six points for the Saints with either Simeon, Simeon or Taysom Hill coming off a game where, I, again, I thought, I thought the Saints had, they had some things go in their favor against the Bucks, And then they also, you know, cracked down defensively and made some nice plays. But uh, division games, weird stuff happens. And Matt Ryan looked really good. And the Cordero is, you know, you can't, you just can't stop him. Yeah. You just can't stop him offensively. A.J. Terrell had a huge game for the Falcons. Three pass breakups. Um <clears throat> they've been slowly getting a little bit better defensively, Atlanta. Slowly yeah. getting a little bit better. James Vaughters played 30 snaps, had, an, had a really high grade. That guy is, for him to still be in the NFL is is pretty impressive. There's a, there's a lot of the... Um, undrafted player in 2015 who was like one of the first years. Was that year one of PFF college grades? 2014, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. he was like a Stanford edge rusher who graded really well, but was athletically marginal, should we say? Um, and you know, you look at him, and you're like, he's 
probably not going to be a particularly useful NFL player. And as one of these guys is like bounced around every preseason, shows up for somebody playing a ton of snaps, you know, because there's a group of guys that you need to just to eat up preseason snaps, you know? Yeah. Because if you're not going to play your starters, at some point somebody has to be on the field. Right. And it's guys like James Waters. Where you're like, you need to play so Roster this fillers. guy, yeah, so this guy doesn't have to play more than eight snaps in this game. You need to play 40. So he plays a ton every preseason, you know, up and down has like 350 career snaps in the in the regular season uh 30 of which came in this game yeah like he had strip sack and that was that was pretty much it i mean the falcons didn't have much of a pass rush that's a big part of why the Saints defensive stops in there i'm just saying james is out there you know plugging away still with dante fowler out the falcons don't have the uh they don't have the best on paper looking group of uh of edge rushers with uh, Deji and I mean, with him there, they Stephen don't have the Means, best look, Vaughters, Brandon Copeland. I mean, that's not not the best look of edge rushers there. But Vaughters makes some plays, impressive. Anyway, uh, Falcons move to four and four, and as I said, Saints. So the Saints fall to five and three. If they were going to make this run, I mean, that last playoff spot we're talking about here in the NFC. You mentioned the Vikings could could have been in the mix. The Vikings are at three and five. The Saints are five and three. The Falcons are four and four. Uh, Falcons could be in the mix here if they go on a little run. Yeah. They're in the playoff picture. All of a sudden, yeah. Um, especially if, if Matt Ryan plays a uh, clean brand of football here. Ryan playing well and having those two players that are genuinely challenging to match up with um, is huge for them. Like, whatever about how good their overall talent is, they they can bring two players to the table every single week that defenses are going to struggle to deal with because yeah. they're just different from everybody else. Like, nobody else has either player that's like that. It's true. Go Falcons. They're coming back, baby. Mm-hmm. Giants-Raiders, 23-16. to Giants win. Another game that made no damn sense. Yeah. Well, look, we were, we were talking about everything that the Raiders had to deal with this week. So this made, this made a little sense. If you go back to what you said, I know sort it was of. a long time ago, on Thursday... You said if this was the game where the emotional stuff catches up to the Raiders. They had done a nice job with the Gruden hire, uh, firing and all that stuff. They bounced back from that. The rugs issue and off-field and whatever. Um, Derek Carr, did, he played his worst game of the year. He's another, So he was the one. He left, he left the out route inside for a pick six by Xavier mm-hmm. McKinney. Xavier McKinney was just one of the best players of the entire week. Pick six in the slot. He also had the... Uh, uh, the other interception of Derek Carr while playing free safety, that was a good flash of what he did at Alabama. McKinney, as this, uh, he played that star role, that nickel star and free safety hybrid. Great job by McKinney in this game. And uh, that was the difference in the game. It wasn't like the Giants were incredible offensively. They got the seven from the pick six. Both offenses scored 16. And, um, yeah, just not the best game for Carr, and Giants pulled the upset. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – Yes, there, we, there was a degree to which you could potentially see a letdown coming for the Raiders, given everything they've been through. On the other hand, like the Giants won a game in which Daniel Jones passed for like 110 yards um, and had a fumble in there as well, right? Like a bad fumble. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of those 110, 30-yard, nice pass to Evan Ingram for the 30-yard touchdown at early. But other than that, I mean, you're averaging two or three yards per, per drop back yeah. after that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, another weird game that – it didn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, that's about it. That's how I wanted the show to go, right? Weird game. Didn't make sense. Next. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this will um, 
we'll pose the question here with with the speedster out rugs and now uh, reported that the raiders Signing have signed guy. deshaun jackson to replace to replace rugs essentially i mean that's uh rugs was gonna be a deshaun jackson type like that was his his cop they've now replaced uh replaced rugs with the actual Deshaun Jackson, an older version, of course. The actual Deshaun Jackson. Uh, but, you know, the thing that I kept complimenting of, of Derek Carr was he's more aggressive, right? He's throwing the ball down the field. The Raiders have induced it out of him, however you want to describe that, by having some speed receivers out there. And uh, Deshaun Jackson could bring that to this offense. Yeah. That's the other thing that happened with the Rams, right? They lose Deshaun Jackson. They can't move the ball. Oh, okay. Right? That's, it's just a big sure. on-off splits, addition by subtraction, subtraction by addition. It's a big week for all that stuff. Derek Carr had been playing like fantastically this year. Um, he was, I think, our second-team All-Pro quarterback. Tom Brady was the first in our mid-ish season All-Pro. Um, but like in this game, he was just bad everywhere. Like Kept clean, bad, under pressure, bad, not blitz, bad, blitz, bad. Like Everywhere you look, this was... This was the game where it was like, you know, everything everything just came down around him. You know, he'd been carrying this entire offense. He'd been doing it, like, incredibly well in terms of, like, things he was saying in the media. You know, I think he came across very well um, after the Ruggs thing, after the Gruden thing. Okay, you can pick apart some of the things he was saying. But I, mean, I think ultimately he came out of that looking very good as a leader, as a guy to rally around. But this did have the feeling of a game where it's just like I completely understandably like he just wasn't he just wasn't at this one yeah I mean the other part of it too is Carr's probably not the second best quarterback in the league sure you know so there's there was probably some regression to be have to be had there anyway but uh it just hit hard in uh in those in the turnover worthy plays one that ended up in a, in a pick six and so it was they were both I mean, a pick six is always untimely, but right. it was an untimely. They, they had a chance but to the Deshaun, make that comeback. The Deshaun Jackson thing is potentially really important for this offense because in this game, he had three deep shots, completed none of them except to the opposition. Um, and even that three attempts represents a 6.5% like deep shot rate, which is like half what he's been at yeah. for the rest of the year. Now, again, maybe that was just this game. But on the other hand, if you look at that and say, okay, suddenly we don't have our deep threat and we half the amount of shots he's taken deep down the field, and of the ones he took, none of them were good. The, his average depth of target was 6.4. Which is old Derek Carr again. Which is old Derek Carr. Now, he was at 5.4 two weeks ago, but that was against the Eagles. That doesn't count. Right. Because everybody <laughs> throws the ball that short against the Eagles and completes 90% of their passes, <laughs> like Carr did. Um, so that one doesn't count. But this one does count because he had been – he had had those games where he was up over 9 and 10 and 11 in a couple games. So it was just it, – it, you didn't have, as you said, those downfield shots in a game where you, you couldn't move the ball yeah. uh, all that effectively. It's not like – it's not necessarily, you know, causation, but you can definitely look at this and say, okay, in the first game without this guy on the team – these things have happened and that's exactly what you would expect to happen if you took him out therefore we need to make this move pretty quickly uh pretty nice job overall by the by the giants defense maybe back to uh feisty territory feisty yeah maybe maybe not though um raiders fall to five and three again the afc west is uh is wide open here with uh 
Raiders at five and three. Where the Chargers move to? We'll talk about the Chargers in a minute with the Eagles, but they're at five and three, so they're both tied atop. And then you got two five and four teams: the Chiefs and the Broncos. How, how's this thing going to shake out in the AFC West? Well, let's go through the other AFC West games. We'll get into it. Let's go Packers Chiefs. Okay. Chiefs thirteen to seven. That's the real final, huh? Yeah. Chiefs thirteen to seven. The narrative of if the Chiefs just stop turning the ball over, all is well with the offense. Well, they stopped turning the ball over, and all was not well with the offense. No, it was, it was, another, it was another painful effort. They had 237 net yards on offense. Yeah. Which is almost 70 fewer than the Green Bay offense led by Jordan Love. Yeah, I mean, there's garbage time in there, but <clears throat> man... Their average yards per play was 3.8. And you would say, now it felt like Mahomes is just throwing all the underneath stuff and everything. His average depth of target ended up pretty high with 10.2. But um, again, I don't, how do you, I don't know how you put numbers to this other than Mahomes isn't playing great. When he does make a good throw, it gets dropped. And then when, he, and, and then when you have the deep shot, this happened both of the last two weeks. He had Tyree kill. Two weeks ago, at Monday Night Football, he had Tyreek Hill open. The last night, yesterday, maybe he had a step, but he just overthrows the deep shot, right? So it's like everything that they're doing is just not working. And it's, and it's either the quarterback, Mahomes' accuracy is way off mm-hmm. compared to where it's been. Again, joking about that Arizona game in the preseason where he missed five out of seven throws. Oh, like the, some of that inaccuracy is showing up in the season. Then you've got, and he got away with another turnover-worthy play in this game. Then you have, you know, remember it was the pass to Travis Kelsey beyond the sticks, and Kelsey's like, ah, oh, put it on my, my front shoulder, but he hit him in the back hip. He hit him in the back hip on an out route. Should have been caught, but it's easier to catch when he comes out of the break and it's right on his hands in front. Not a difficult throw. Everything's just off for the Chiefs offense. That's it. Yeah. The best thing they do is run block. Yes. It's the best thing the Chiefs do right now offensively. Which is unfortunate since they don't really want to run the ball. No. But another really good run blocking effort. Trey Smith was good again. You've got Creed Humphrey, Orlando Brown. Um, Orlando Brown has played well. Again, we're doing our, our free agent rankings here. Orlando Brown's a top 50 free agent. Other than when he has to face Miles Garrett, which <laughs> when he was with the Ravens was twice a year. He already got that game out of the way unless they see him in the playoffs, right? As long as Orlando Brown doesn't have to play Miles Garrett, he's he's been good. He's been good in pass protection. He's a good run blocker and the whole thing. Like the line is fine. Yeah. For the Chiefs. It really and is. And that's the bigger story. They have their two highest pass blocking grades of the season the last two weeks. It's funny against that the Giants and the Packers. The last two weeks the, so the Chiefs at one point they were below 500, right? Um 3 Yeah, and, they were 3 and 4. Right. So they were below 500. It's like, okay, now it's time to hit the panic button. Since then they've gone 2 and 0 oh and have worsened the crisis. Like they've won their last two games and we feel worse about the Chiefs now than we did when they were 3 and 4. That's how bad their offense has looked over the last couple of weeks. Like I think there is a very real problem with with Mahomes as a style of quarterback and not just him but oh boy. but Josh Allen, Zach Wilson, quarterbacks that play the game the way those guys do, when everything is going great, it goes great and you're like this is this is amazing. This is un you cannot defend this, right? Cuz how how are you supposed to stop this, right? They what do you do? This was the this was literally the narrative. 
how are you supposed to defend Patrick Mahomes? Because if you keep him in the pocket, he carves you up. If you get pressure on him the way you normally defeat quarterbacks, he just makes you pay for it anyway. If you blitz him, he carves you up. Like there's literally no way to stop Patrick Mahomes. That's when things are going well. When things start to go badly, now every single thing that made him impossible to defend is a step one of things not to do as a quarterback, right? So how do you how do you rein that in? Like how do you go, we need to wind back the Patrick Mahomes of Patrick Mahomes to get him out of the bad habits that are starting to make problems worse? Because everything that he does now is making this funk that they're in worse. The dropping beyond the pocket stuff, the causing pressure, the trying to make hero like make plays happen just outside of structure, like running away to nowhere. Like these are all things that are typically bad for a quarterback, but Mahomes has always lived in. Now when it's not going well, what do you what do you attack? What do you change to work it back? And I think the same thing is true with Zach Wilson, right? What makes him such an in, in intriguing and enticing prospect is all of that stuff. But his problem right now is you're just not doing the basics. Like you're not dropping back, hitting your fifth step and firing the ball out the way Mike White is. So all of the things you can do, it's kind of irrelevant because we don't ever reach the point where it's possible. Like you're just not, you're not executing the offense to the point where that's a value add. It's just your game and your game isn't helpful right now. And you know, Josh Allen is trying to fight his way out of plays and firing the ball directly to Josh Allen. Um, but when this is you your said problem, that with a straight face, it was great. <laughs> when when things are going badly, I don't know how you fix that because that's what made the dude so good in the first place. And I think that's very different to quarterbacks that like played the game more conventionally, quote unquote. Yeah, where you can see very quickly when they start skewing in a weird direction, right? And you can there go, a, "Here's our problem. We just fix that." There was a better balance previously right of course there but, was a better balance with him playing within structure and out of structure like i've said a, a, but the point is how do you wind times. it back and say no you got to stop doing the stuff that makes you special I, I still think it comes down to a third playmaker and i'm not saying like sammy watkins wasn't the best wide receiver in the world and yeah there were some games where sammy watkins took over you know like week one it was a 2019 it was three touchdowns and takes a you know a little hitch route 70 yards and all that stuff and the super bowl you know, playoff Sammy. But <clears throat> it's still having that third option, right? So you've got – you have Tyreek Hill. I mean, sign OBJ is what I'm hearing. They might today. By the time we – are there any, any OBJ news? By the time we're – you know, you're hearing this, they might grab OBJ. Get him ad-libbing with uh, Patrick Mahomes ad-libbing. By the way, it was vintage Mahomes to seal the deal. That would have yeah, gotten yeah. really interesting. So it's 13-7. to 7 third and seven or whatever it is Mahomes rolls out great play um did he find Tyreek yeah was it Tyreek for uh for the conversion and, and it wasn't just vintage Mahomes but like vintage Mahomes to Tyreek right yes. like I've seen somebody go well of course they made that play the defender fell down it's like he fell down because it was like the fourth cut Tyreek Hill made on the right. play trying to find space for Mahomes to go somewhere with the ball like he went out up out up and it was like yeah. the fourth up was when the DB just like span around fell which, over which by the way was Tyreek's fourth catch. It was his long catch, 13 yards, on 11 targets. I mean, this is, this is part of the issue, right? So if Tyreek Hill is once again averaging less than 10 yards per catch, the, the most explosive big play threat in the NFL, Travis Kelsey got his, you know, 68 yards. He got, it, he got in the end zone on that easy touchdown at the goal line. But there's nothing else beyond those guys. There's nothing else mm-hmm. beyond them. 
I mean, that is a big part of the issue. The Josh Gordon experiment, he's, he's had one target, didn't get a catch, didn't catch the ball. Uh, it's just all really, really difficult right now for the Chiefs. It is a legitimate slump. Um, and I mentioned this somewhere, too, because we talk a lot. I don't remember where. The old way that the Chiefs offense worked is if Mahomes put up a grade in the 60s, which happened, you know, sometimes that's what quarterbacks do. He'd put up a grade in the 60s, but he'd be like, oh, he threw for 315, three touchdowns, no picks, and the offense was still good. And they did it despite Mahomes not playing his best game, got away with a turnover-worthy play here and there, had a couple tap passes for touchdowns, they schemed it up, they screened it, they did all this stuff. All of that stuff is off. So it's a slump from the play caller standpoint. You know, it, it, we always we always give credit to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, so we give blame to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. It's off from their standpoint. You don't have the ex, the same explosive plays from Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and you don't have the same elite play from Patrick Mahomes. So Patrick Mahomes, outside of the pocket, here we go. First three years in, uh, as a starter, PFF grade of ninety three point three, big time throw rate of nine point six percent turnover-worthy play rate of 2.8%. So essentially, you know, incredible. (laughs) Insane numbers, things you're not supposed to be able to do. This year, outside of the pocket, PFF grade of 65.8. So like 30 points lower. Big time throw rate, 2.7%. Basically, they don't exist. Um, Turnover-worthy play rate, 3.7%. Like, Mahomes has not been the same guy outside of structure and if anything he's skewing more outside of structure like as a percentage of what he's doing so i just think you end up in this very weird situation where i don't know how you wind that back say that last part again because i think that's the the key that he's skewing more out of out of outside of structure yeah so he already has more plays outside of the pocket uh more dropbacks than he did in 2019 Wow. Now he's lower than, you know, 2020 and 2018, but obviously has half season essentially still to play. You started this by saying the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes types of quarterbacks. This was this was Aaron Rodgers as well. Um, but I guess my question is, how did how did Mahomes play elite football for three years? Like, how, it's just catching up right now? How is it just catching up right now? I don't think it's just catching up, but I think once things go badly, you're now in a problematic rut. Yeah. Like, it's not that, it's not that, I don't ne- think necessarily that anything is dramatically different and, you know, that it's, or that it's just catching up with him now. But the point is, once it starts to go south, it, you're in a very weird spot because you don't know what to fix. So you could, I always use the, the Aaron Rodgers history of, of, his, of his play, right? And I always pull out the exact seasons where Aaron Rodgers had it all going together, right? It was the... Inside the pocket, it was outside the pocket, it was special throws, it was never putting the ball in harm's way. 2011, 2014, 2016 after he said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. Last year, 2020. So there were like four times where Aaron Rodgers looks like the best quarterback you've ever seen. And I know his stats are great historically and they're up there, whatever. So he's, he's great overall. But there are other bouts in there where he's not playing 90-plus football. He has a 75 grade in 2015, a 79 in 2017, an 83 in 2000. It's just odd years. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers doesn't play well. Okay. Even years, he's great. He's like the old Giants. Except the Yeah, he's the old Giants. They always win in even years. The San Francisco Giants, that is. No. Remember they won 2010, 12, and 14? Of course. Who could forget? After they released me, yeah. they won three Super Bowl, <laughs> three World Series sorry, yeah. in five years. 
Uh, but when Rodgers was, when it was going south, it's like, hello, receiver who's wide open. I don't want to throw it to you right now. I'm going to scramble over here and make a play. There, and everything, the timing was off, and it's like, it was just off. Maybe there's about, maybe there's elements of that to it that, that we're getting. Like, it's like, is Mahomes going to be an elite quarterback over time? Yes. Is he going to ever grade above 90 again? Sure. Like, he'll get there. But right now, the, everything's just off, and yeah. the timing's off, and he's in a slump. He's in a slump. But I think it, there's a because of the way he plays the game. I think it makes it very hard to make small changes that would that would affect the way he plays. Like if a guy, if a random conventional pocket passer suddenly starts to do some things that are slightly weird, you can very quickly see what it is. Right? It's like if a perfect golf swing develops a weird hitch somewhere in the motion, you can see immediately where it is and say, okay, here's what you're doing. You're doing this, right? If you have like a Jim Furyk out there with his weird like loopy ass golf swing, when that develops a weird hitch in it, like how do you tell? You know what I mean? I like, oh, look. That's Mahomes. It's like, if you're going to play like this, I can't tell what's wrong when it's not going well because it shouldn't look like this in the first place. But we've all just kind of stepped back and gone, that's just Mahomes. Like, you just let him go because look at it. It's incredible. He's breaking the league. Good work. But when it stops working, okay, so what do I do? Like, my machine that I don't understand has ceased to function any further. Like, how do I fix it? You know what I mean? That's basically the problem here. You tell me slinging Sammy Baugh, Patrick Mahomes, that, that comparison's out the window. It's now Jim Furyk. I'm just saying, if you don't understand the mechanism for no, how like it's it. working in the first place, how do, you, really... how do you fix it when it stops working? It's really good. Um, if Aaron Rodgers had played this game <laughs> in the Chiefs scored 13, I have a feeling the Packers would have scored at least 14. At least 14. Yes. Yes. That's my takeaway from this game. It does feel like they would have won comfortably if they had Rodgers, not Jordan Love, at quarterback. Yeah. So this ends up becoming, as we expected, a huge game in the race for the number one seed in the NFC with the Packers falling to 7-2. and two. The Cowboys also you know, got their second loss. The Cardinals, who we'll talk about... Uh, you know, stick with one loss, and the Rams got their second loss. So three NFC teams all get their second loss. The Bucks are sitting at home on their bye, and uh, now Arizona's in control yeah. of the number one and seed. We, we need to talk a little bit about Jordan Love. And um, let's get to the Jordan Love stuff. If, let's not overreact. When, when did he find out he's starting? Tuesday, Wednesday? Yeah. Which day was that? Yeah, most of the week. Okay. Yeah, go. <laughs> I'm just, you know... If you were of the opinion that, hey, we get this great glimpse of Jordan Love, and we said heading into that game that, hey, the Chiefs defense is kind of garbage. It's a, other than the fact that it's Arrowhead and will be noisy. And by the way, it was sufficiently noisy in Green Bay's favor that they had to ask the crowd to like shut the hell up while the Chiefs were on offense. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of Packers fans there as well. Um, but you know, other than the fact that there was crowd noise to be dealing with, it was a pretty good defense to be getting a first start against. And there was a good chance that Jordan Love could come out of this game looking pretty good. That didn't really happen. And if you were, what I think his, the thing that his performance did in this game to me was really highlight just how good Aaron Rodgers is. And not just because, you know, he would have played better, but the number of times where there's something open, but it's like a, it's a chemistry hookup between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, one-on-one coverage, you know, back shoulder throw on the sideline. Those are just robotic between Rodgers and Adams at this point. It's too easy. It's stealing. It's taking candy from a baby, all those kinds of things. When Jordan Love is the guy throwing the ball, it's not the same. And it's, it's just 
it's just off. Like it's not Jordan Love and, and Devonte Adams don't have that connection yet. Now it doesn't mean they can't get there. They but, weren't even. They didn't even practice together this week. How could you? Sure, but like, how could you have that connection? I mean, it, Rogers and Adams have been playing seven, eight years together. There's a degree to which it's chemistry. There's also a degree to which he's running a bank shoulder throw. You don't throw the ball two and a half yards inside him towards where yeah, the corner but that is. is a, that's like a, you got to make eye contact. You got to know what the that's not a timing thing. That's just like that's a bad throw. The yeah, point I'm is, not. it showed you like how much that connection is important with Rodgers and Adams and how much that offense is actually kind of riding on the fact that they can do that anytime you throw him a blitz or anytime he's in no, I agree with single that. coverage I mean, and all those kinds of things. That is the, like a good, a good offense, right? We, so we talk a lot about the Browns and while they're scheming it up and protecting Baker. Like You want to have that, and the Packers do a lot of that with LaFleur. But then there's other times where it's like, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, hey, just go play football, be better than the other guys and, and beat them. Like that's that's what separates the Packers offense. The thing I would push back on a little bit is I I don't like general analysis that's like, well, this defense is bad, therefore you're gonna be okay. Of all the defenses that you're gonna play, do you really want Jordan Love going up against Spags? Spags. So the Chiefs the Chiefs, I mean, Chiefs I don't... defense isn't good this year. Yeah. But they blitz the crap out of Jordan Love. Twenty-two blitzes, and it's it's right, zero but, blitzes. It's it's the same stuff. But why is that a why is that a bad thing? Because it's of of the places where a a, a quarterback who just found out he's going to start a couple days ago and has never played in the NFL of all the places where he probably should struggle, it's against the blitz. Knowing where the overload pressure is coming from, knowing where the unblocked pressures are coming from. Plus, maybe I just have low expectations because I had low expectations for uh-huh. Jordan Love and he shouldn't have been a first-rounder. Perhaps that's the case. Yeah. But maybe this wasn't, oh, it's a bad Chiefs defense. Great time for, the, for Jordan Love to start. It's, it's against a dude that's coming. You would have been much better off starting against the Eagles who are going to let you complete 80% of your passes. I mean, sure, they're also a bad defense. Underneath. But it's a different style. I'm just saying the style of the Chiefs defense in Jordan Love. How many dropbacks did he have? 22 times blitzed out of 34. 35 whatever it is, a few more than that. I mean, they blitzed him over 50% of the time. They just attacked, and uh, Love did not have any answers there. No. If, <clears throat> if you were a Jordan Love believer or hopeful that after the season when Aaron Rodgers is likely gone or whatever happens, uh, that the, my bigger issue, we, we figured we'd see some turnover-worthy plays. There were three of them in there. They weren't like egregious ones they were just like you kind of you kind of gave the defender a better shot than the receiver there wasn't there wasn't a Stafford one in there even though he did try he did throw one when he was in the grasp and actually completed it to me it was just the accuracy he was just missing throws by a mile yeah I mean accuracy and just like not a great feel for where you should be going with the ball I think a lot of the time they weren't like horrendous misreads but it wasn't like you didn't have the sense that he had a tremendous grasp of this offense. Not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but just like the feeling you get when a quarterback is is comfortable with what he's doing, he always knows where to go with the ball, where like that level of comfort clearly isn't there. And of course, look, it's his first start. But I'm just saying, you don't come out of this game encouraged for the future beyond Aaron Rodgers. You know? No, I agree. And there's no reason that couldn't have been the case. It didn't mean it was necessarily indicative of anything, but Plenty of quarterbacks have played well in their first start, particularly when they've sat down for an extended period of time and learned on the job. Like, you come in, you have a great game, and everyone's like, oh, maybe the, maybe life beyond Rodgers won't be so bad. Maybe we will go from Favre to, or from Favre to Rodgers to Jordan Love and keep the gravy train going. 
you certainly didn't come out of this game with that kind that's, of optimism. That's fair. Uh, the Chiefs defense played a lot better, in part because... <laughs> Are you seeing the trend here? The defense is very dependent on who you're playing. Uh, Legereus Sneed with a huge game, including the interception. Uh, he did a really nice job, finally, in coverage on the outside. He, he, was, he was tight with Devonta and a bunch on a bunch of stuff outside. So, um, 13 to 7, man. He yeah. 9 to 6 game and a 13 to 7 game this week in the NFL. All right. What else we got here? What did I tweet? Whatever I tweeted out, we're going to do next. Hmm. Raiders, Giants, Packers, Chiefs. Cardinals, 49ers are next. Okay. That's what I tweeted. Cardinals dominated, man. This was. Uh, so you have no Kyler Murray. No. You have no DeAndre Hopkins. Nope. We, uh, no AJ Green. No AJ Green, the receiver. Yes. Not the corner. The other AJ Green. I think we need more fresh names in the NFL. There's a lot of, a lot lot of, of double names. Yeah. AJ Greens and David Longs and Josh Allens. It's like movies, you know? You run out of movies and now we're just repeating them all. We're just remaking them all. We run out of player names, so we're just repeating them all now. We're in like Fast and the Furious 22. Yeah. This is what a disappointment and for And that's not Niners. even counting like Asante Samuel Jr., you know? Is like, this true? Is this a bigger deal that the 49ers get crushed by backups than <laughs> the great Colt McCoy? Let's not take anything away from Colt McCoy. The 49ers get crushed by backups. Well, the Cardinals move to 8-1 and one with backups, showing their depth. And Cliff Kingsbury deserves some credit here, man. Who yeah. cares if he doesn't move his receivers? Look at this. Make an offense with Colt. I think it says more. Eh. I, I mean, I think it says something about both of them, actually. Oh, look, I, look the, the 49ers were moving the ball reasonably well and then kept turning it over. Like, three turnovers was a big part of this game. Yeah. So you don't necessarily come like if if they had been able to not turn the ball over, this would have been a shootout and you would come out of it slightly concerned about this Arizona defense finally sort of realizing the regression that was bound to come at some point. You know, they've been dramatically outperforming the grading so far this year. And you're like, you know, we had some pretty major concerns about the talent level of this group heading into the year. And they've been outperforming it. Will that continue, particularly without guys like J.J. Watt, et cetera, et cetera? So if the 49ers hadn't kept shooting themselves in the foot, you would come out of this game with that kind of somewhere in the discussion, right? But because they did, they put up 17 points, and you're like, it probably doesn't get mentioned that much. Um, then the other side of this is the 49ers' defense is terrible, and consequently they were able to get ripped to pieces by a Colt McCoy-led uh, offense that didn't have DeAndre Hopkins or AJ Green um, and it, none of it mattered like Christian Kirk had a big game basically everybody caught almost everything that was thrown in their direction which indicates that your defense is not doing a tremendous job of covering anybody um, so and I think that one is the one that's more like 50-50 right I think you do give credit to the, uh, the Cardinals and Colt McCoy and the scheme and all the things they were able to open up on the other hand you have to kind of look at that defense from the 49ers and say their starting corners were like Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick, neither of whom, like, they weren't great. It's been a while since Josh Norman has been good, and Drake Kirkpatrick may never have been particularly good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, on yeah. their, you know, somewhere down the line of their careers, they're both winding up starting in the same defense. Like, that's, that's obviously a recipe for problems. 78% of Colt McCoy's yards came after the catch. Yeah, 78 Which is a huge number. So Colt McCoy is like, you know how you're, you love Jacoby Brissett? 
because sure. uh, you love to see a good, you like to watch the train wreck. What was your? Uh, the Wilhelm scream. Wilhelm scream. You like to watch that. I like to, I like watching Colt McCoy because I, 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 I'm not like rooting for more Alex Smith types around the NFL, the conservative, you know, underneath stuff and everything, which Brissett falls into sometimes. Brissett gets to that stat line. <laughs> But after the scream, right? In yeah. like a weird way, it gets to that stat line. Well, it's like Ale- it's, line. it's Alex Smith with added Wilhelm scream. Yeah, but I like I kind of like watching the Colt McCoy types where it's like the margin of error. He just doesn't have a great arm. <laughs> He's got to make so. You many like good watching a, like a tightrope back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, don't throw the deep out, Colt. Don't throw it. They're gonna pick it. It's no safety net. There's a guy. Timing's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be great. And, you know, Colt's got more interceptions and touchdowns in his, you know, limited career and all that stuff. But a game like this, it's like, all right, he didn't, didn't make any mistakes. It was just accurate, you know, spread the ball around and the whole thing. I like watching Colt, not every week, God, but, no. uh, but the same way you like watching Brissette. Nobody wants that every week. Completely different reasons because it's going to, you know, you're rooting for just like bland, don't screw it up. Um, so Colt managed the game extremely well, did some nice stuff there. Uh, but the run game in Arizona too. Like every time you look up, massive hole, creating big plays, whether it's James Conner, you know, Benjamin, uh, they move the ball. Three touchdowns, 163 yards on the ground. Colt didn't miss many throws. Just, man, very good offense by Arizona and uh, doing it without their top guys. I'm impressed by that. I think the 49ers' depth, to your point on defense, just just catching up to them. Javon Kinlaw's been out for whatever that's worth. I mean, they're just missing people. Yeah, I mean, the Kinlaw thing is, I don't know how much that's a, his absence is hurting versus the fact that he hasn't worked out anyway uh, is problematic. Like, that's the perfect example. So the Vikings trade away Stephon Diggs and replace him with Justin Jefferson, which is risky because the chances that Justin Jefferson will be as good as Stephon Diggs are pretty small, and yet they nailed it, right? If they possibly upgraded there at the very minimum, it's a lateral move and they got cheaper. The 49ers essentially tried the same trick. They trade away DeForest Buckner and draft Javon Kinlaw to replace him. And that is an example of how that can go completely in the other direction. You take the thing that you got for that player and you use it to replace him. And that guy might not be anything like the same level of impact player. And that's what the 49ers are realizing right now. Even if Javon Kinlaw is playing, he just isn't in the same world yet and may never be as DeForest Buckner. So all of a sudden you have this glaring hole in the middle of your defense where once there was strength. Uh, we mentioned last week, Jimmy Garoppolo played really well last week. He was fine again, I think, He's in this good. game. He was fine. But, and, and so Kyle Shanahan's won about 70% of his games with Jimmy Garoppolo as the starter. Yeah. Uh, you know, with, with the C.J. Beathard, as great as C.J. Beathard is. Nick Mullins of the world, not it's even great. close, right? But the Niners are 3-5. and five. We know Trey Lance is the future at some point. Are we moving to Trey Lance? Or, and the other question, like, what does this mean for Shanahan here? I mean, there's another, they're also down three scores. They could have gone to, for two to keep it, to get it to two scores to be down 16. They didn't do it. So they stayed down three scores and they're still, they're trying to like, you know, map this comeback late in the game and they were just running out of time and possessions. And it's like, man, the, as great as Shanahan is as an offensive mind, some of the game management stuff is not great. Yeah. I, I don't think his game management stuff is good. And I think that Kyle Shanahan would benefit massively if he embraced... PFFIQ. Just sign up for PFFIQ. Oh, sure. Or, you know, the trend of now having somebody in his ear whose job it is to do that stuff, right? And essentially take those decisions out of his hands or at the very minimum, like, have a guy who says, 
this is the clear answer come up with a good reason to not do this as opposed to just go by your gut during the flow right i think he would benefit hugely from that i think he's going to start to take a lot of heat right now and i think most of it is undue um really yeah like so if Jimmy Garoppolo plays the way he has the last two weeks, the 49ers offense will be very good and be, and be fine. They'll win quite a lot of games. Um, a, he hasn't for most of this year. Uh, and B, so if you look at his, Kyle Shanahan's history with the 49ers, the guy has almost never had a viable quarterback yet. He's had a few games here and there of Jimmy G playing at the level he plays at when he's playing viably. And when he does that, they win games and go to the Super Bowl. Um, he hasn't done that for most of this year. He's done it the last couple of weeks. And if that doesn't happen, or if Trey Lance doesn't come in and play at that kind of level, he's just working without without a quarterback that can execute. And even without that, he's got Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard and crappy Jimmy G all racking up like seven-plus yards per attempt. Like, the stuff they do with that group of quarterbacks is pretty miraculous. Right now, the problem is that the defense is horrendous. And that's not Kyle Shanahan's area. Like, that's somebody else. That's the ingredients he's being given there not holding up. Now, when Robert Sala was the coordinator, he was able to make that group look better than it was. And maybe this is a case of this has been heading in that direction for a while and they haven't really done a great job of seeing it coming and heading it off. But, like, if you're looking at the 49ers now and asking what are their problems and rank them in hierarchical order, how high would Kyle Shanahan be on that list for you? At minimum, like the highest I would go is like number four, and that would be his in-game management stuff. Interesting. So, yeah, the defense, I mean, they're giving up 25 points per game, same amount of points per game as the Chiefs as a team. So they're in that, like we talk about the Chiefs' defense as the thing holding it back. And, yes, the Chiefs' defense gets a little boost from giving up seven yesterday yeah. against the Packers. Um, <clears throat> but I agree that's probably the bigger issue with the Niners. I also think at a, at a high level, even though they're 3-5, and five, when you look at the Niners and what – you can judge coaches by wins. Maybe you don't want to do that with quarterbacks. You can do it with, with, uh, with coaches. Shanahan being winning 70% of his games with Jimmy Garoppolo I think is an encouraging sign that he can do it going forward. I do think he's got to improve the game management stuff, though. Yeah. Um, big, week, big week for the Cardinals, man. Everybody else that is competing with them for the number one seed either lost or is sitting at home like the Bucks. So, Cardinals now controlling their own destiny. Here we are. Control your own destiny territory as uh, they've got the number one seed. Control your own destiny territory. We're back to be in the hunt territory. We're getting all the playoff buzzwords. A lot of in the hunt stuff. My favorite is week 17 when we just read the list of playoff scenarios. Playoff, uh, week 18 now. Yeah. All the playoff scenarios. If these 19 things happen, this team is getting in. It's going to happen. We got two more games to discuss. The Clippers. Los Angeles Clippers. Mm-hmm. The Chargers. Chargers 27, the Eagles 24. A good little back and forth battle here. Uh, Brandon Staley continues to go for every single fourth down. <laughs> Sometimes it worked. It started off a little slow in this game, but they kept going for it, going for it. Uh, late in the game, they had, was it fourth and one that they went for again? And they get it. And we'll, let's talk about that decision in a se- uh, second. I thought the Eagles did a really nice job staying in this game. This was this was the Eagles' offense that we had looked at before. We've talked about like oh they ran the they ran the ball thirty nine times for one seventy six. They only dropped they dropped back under twenty times. This is like what we expected from the Eagles coming into the season, and it kind of worked. And I think the they've lucked part. into it. Like 
the the game against the Lions, I think like they stumbled into this idea of hey, you know what? When our offensive line just gets to run block and we just hand yeah. the ball off to whoever the hell we want, and Jalen Hurts gets to do his thing at the back of that, we're way better than like just saying hey, Jalen go win the game on your own let us know how it worked out <laughs> like, let us know they kind of they stumble into that against the lions and then the chargers have the kind of defense where you can do that um as well and it it works like that should be their offense it's it's yeah and hurts hurts made some big throws Devonte smith was fantastic he catches five for 116 including a really nice uh touchdown on a dig route so Devonte was fantastic but it comes down to the chargers I used this stat yesterday, and it's just one way to paint this picture. Like, the Eagles are giving up 75% completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks this year. It is absurd what they're giving up. AFC West quarterbacks just... Remember, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever, Derek Carr went 31 for 34. They're already tied for the all-time record of uh, games in a season in which the opposing quarterback has completed 80% of his passes. They've done it five times this year, which is tied for the most ever in a season it's also i think was it espn stats and info or something had this stat that like from like 1980 to i don't know sometime recently well after the merger huh well after the merger um i I don't even remember the years but like over like a 30-year period the, the eagles defense did it six times and they've done it five times this year it is nuts just Herbert It's the Carr. most vanilla defense in the NFL. Like, they By do far. a complete and total lack of anything interesting, complicated, it is disguising, like, trickery, nothing. They just bend. line up and say, here's what we're running, beat it. Bend but don't break on steroids. Because Herbert had another, like, four-yard, four, four-and-a-half average, average depth of target. But he goes 32 for 38. Carr went 31 for 34. Mahomes went 24 for 30. Something like the AFC, those three AFC West quarterbacks have a completion percentage of like 87, 88% against them this year. Um, anyway, they're still not like the worst pass defense in the NFL because given a completions is different from EPA and points and all that stuff, but they're still not great. Um, but I feel like they have to adjust a little bit, right? They're like, so you know, the Chargers do this thing where they invite you to run the ball, but they're right on that borderline of when it becomes efficient enough that it's no longer it's a good problematic plan. yeah yeah like in general you want a team to run the ball on you because it's less efficient if they do that than if they pass the ball but at some point you're so bad against the run that it becomes more efficient to run the ball and it's no longer a net win if you can convince the opposition to just run it all day long the chargers are always like right on that borderline and sometimes they stray too far and it the plan to invite the run is actually detrimental to what they're doing on defense and sometimes they're the other side of the line the eagles are the same thing but in the pass game it's like you invite the opposition to just to just be patient and complete a whole bunch of high percentage low impact plays in the pass game and just do that 15 times and if you do that 15 times you'll march the ball down the field and you'll score they invite teams to do that as a as a plan, but they're just on that line of like when it's too freaking easy. And teams do do that, and they'll just complete 85% of their passes, and they'll march all the way down the field, and it won't do you any good. They need to do something to mix it up, particularly like, you know, things like stunts, right? The stunt doesn't affect the threat of a big play on the back end, really. I mean, sure, you need to pay a little bit more attention 
to gap discipline up front and make sure that you don't just cave in one side of the line and let the quarterback like run off into you know 20 yards of unmarked space so it's not a hundred percent without cost or or at least things you need to think about but generally it doesn't affect your propensity for giving up a big passing play on the back end so what i'm saying is instead of being like the lowest team in the nfl in percentage of using stunts up front you could add those with almost yeah, no downside it, whatsoever it doesn't change the, the coverage shape. right it doesn't so you change what you want you do. can still take away the deep the deep threat and keep everything in front of you but increase your chance of getting pressure on the play just by adding a bunch of those in and yet you're not why yeah i don't know get better pressure <laughs> Fourth down, uh, Chargers got 40% of their fourth downs. It was another game where they got stuffed a few times and didn't let that discourage them. That's what I think I appreciate about Brandon Staley. Right or wrong, you know, say what you want about the numbers and whatever. Brandon Staley is not letting the what's happened previously affect his just, I'm going to go with what the numbers say. I think it helped that they were massively efficient on third downs. Yes. Um... I'm just saying, like, they, they, they got stuffed at the goal line early. They got stuffed on other fourth and ones. Yeah. They went, Some, but they that, went, generally, they, that generally thinks, wow, now we're, right. it's not working for us today. Let's go the other way. They like, drove let's, 98 let's, yards and didn't score. That's, that's incredible. That has to be a record, right? I don't know. Yeah, but John like, Elway would have scored on I think, yards. you know, that all the things that scare coaches away from those things in game, like, oh, it's not working out today. We better stop doing this. I think if you were also – struggling badly on third down you might be of that opinion but if you're doing well on third down and okay the fourth down thing hasn't gone your way at least you can say look when we generally and gotta have it situations we're doing pretty well today it's right, just the fourth down thing hasn't gone our way so i think that probably played into it that yeah they might they might have gone away from those a bit more if they were also struggling on third but on third down like they were six of seven for 70 yards and a touchdown uh, in the passing game so I think they had confidence built in that whatever the, the small sample size of fourth downs were going to be fine. So then the, the final thing, right? It's, it's 24-24. Great back and forth game. The Chargers are in field goal range. Nice drive. They, they're facing a fourth and one. They're definitely in field goal range. And what, it's just after the two-minute warning, right? I mean, there's a lot of time left. So the two scenarios are you kick the fourth and one field goal, and then the Eagles have plenty of time to come back and match it right and i think traditionally that's that's a kick most teams that's a kick they were in it wasn't like a 47 or 48 yard i mean it was it was closer um i could pull up the exact scenario but they go for it get a big run get a much easier uh field goal opportunity but also run the entire clock out so that's the reasoning for going for it and i think that's a big part of of why the chargers won right yeah. i mean that's why they make that decision if you don't get it you're still tied the eagles have that same opportunity to go kick the field goal except they can win it but when you do get it at fourth and one you pretty much sealed it you pretty much ends the game your win probability goes through the roof because you keep the ball away from the eagles and you have an easier field goal opportunity a minute 45 on the clock uh they were at the philly 28 so yep. yeah for pretty much every other team in the nfl that's just a kick it's a 45-yard field goal. You will. You feel good about that, that your kicker's going to hit it. It's a good point. Like, it's a – you are very rarely going to see a team go for a fourth down specifically for time, right? Right. And, and not just – so if you need to run out the clock to kill the game, sure. But 
time versus points. Like that's the that's the sort of uh, watershed moment here. You're very very rarely going to see a team go for the fourth down when the option when the choice is time on the clock versus points on the board. You'll you'll see teams go for it when it's time off the clock versus I mean essentially maintain possession versus kick it away. That's one thing, but going for it versus take the points, which will put you ahead, is 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 huge. Like it's a genuine. Um, like a really important um, analytic sort of game or game decision game what's the word I'm looking for game management game management game game theory yeah game theory type of decision like that's a that's a big one yeah so I think I, I, we talked we've talked a lot about uh, fourth down decisions in general here but I think that's the part of it like when you have an algorithm so to speak actually working on this stuff it is taking apart it's taking in all those factors and i think the human brain tends to think tie game add three right we'll be course. winning by three yeah right you only seem to think and this is again when the when the coaches are like let's feel and gut and stuff like that it's like man you're missing so many other variables that can be accounted for earlier in the week you don't have to calculate these things on sunday you go in with this information when i have this time left and this is the score and this is the opportunity, and it's fourth and one. Here are the odds. Here's here's what it looks like. So uh, it and looked just, like some of the fourth down variance was catching up to the Chargers for a while, but they stuck with it, and I think it ended up sealing the deal for them. Even just to put you in the the sort of quote-unquote correct starting point, right? So instead of you get to this situation – and all of a sudden you have to run this like thing in your head of like, oh, what are all the variables? How do we do this? What are we going for? What's the, what's the positive? What's the negative? All of that on the fly. You have a guy in your ear saying, this is what the data says to do. Now you essentially, instead of trying to work out where the right thing is, you're being told what the right thing is. And all you have to do is add whatever you think is relevant in terms of feel mm. and decide if that's enough to override it or not. And maybe you decide yes, maybe you decide no. You can have a whole conversation about whether you should be doing that at all or whether you should just be taking the number and going with it. But the point is, the starting point of like, here is the answer, now tell me why it's wrong, is way different to, in the next 20 seconds, run all of the data yourself in your brain and come up with the answer. Because I think if you do that, you're going to like automatically run back to what you know which is usually like the conservative way of doing it and just take the points. Even the most archaic coaches aren't really doing that, right? Like they're at least anticipating, hey, uh, you know, if we get a fourth down, I know what I'm going to do. I mean, yeah, like they're running it, but it's still like in the next minute, you know, in the next 90 seconds while you're doing seven other things, Uh, figure out what you're going to be doing in this fourth down situation. All I'm saying is even the most forward-thinking coaches, I think get caught up in the moment. Like if, if it's third and eight and you pick up seven to get to fourth and one, which is instead of like it's third and one and you lose a yard to, to move to fourth and two, like all of that stuff I think influences coaches. And I look at Staley not, not letting that stuff affect him, right? He just continues to uh, push on. And I think over time it's going to be good. We mentioned the Ravens game where it was bad. It did not work out in the Ravens game and it looked like you got crushed in the Ravens game even more than you should have. But um, I think it worked out. Obviously, it worked out in this one. Uh, credit the Eagles. They're still playing tough here. But they moved to 3-6. and six. Chargers 5-3, and three, tied with the Raiders atop the AFC West. Um, somebody did mention, and I, I forgot to mention this. Packers fan chimed in on Twitter. 
and said, you got to talk about the Packers defense. And I did want to. I want to credit the Packers defense. It does feel like, as, as, as painful as the Chiefs' offense is right now with all the underneath stuff that they've been throwing, Packers' tackling was fantastic. Yeah. Chris Barnes with a great tackle. And Oren Burks finally broke out seven years after I expected him to <laughs> with a great tackle. He's ready. He's ready to break out. Can't claim that now. Oren Burks. I don't yeah. want to claim it. The guy you know, doesn't grade very well, but... Oren Burks made a great tackle. I feel like I'm seeing more of that around the NFL. Could just be in my head. A lot of really good open field tackles on underneath stuff. But the the Packers tackling, I think, kept them in the game and held the Chiefs to 13 points, which is still a good so good job, Packers. Yeah, um, and they they did it with uh, Kevin King being like being like an important part of the defense because all of a sudden they lose yeah. um, they lose Eric Stokes. That's and, so there was Regan. a play. There was a play early in the game. This is this is football, right? Like when you just write down on paper, Tyreek Hill versus Kevin King. It looks like it might be the biggest mismatch for, among starters in the. I mean, NFL. not just like their starting corners were Kevin King and Brazil Douglas. Yeah, like that's that's just as problematic as San Francisco's Josh Norman and Drake Kirkpatrick. The point the point I wanted to make was that like even mismatches like sometimes Kevin King wins the battle or whatever there was a pass early on where they threw it to Tyreek in the flat and this is another thing about the Chiefs offense I'm wondering are teams just getting better at understanding Tyreek changing your angle for how you tackle Tyreek Hill like the old way this would have worked is Kevin King would have ran right at him and Tyreek would have said I'm faster than you and just ran right by him right King kind of slow played it and kind of just mirrored him a little bit and then his help came and they did and they just they balled up Tyree Kill. So all this underneath stuff that he's catching, again, he's averaging under 10 yards per catch like each of the last three games. Our team's just doing a better job of how they're the angles they're taking, not overcommitting, letting their letting their defense swarm to him. This is all of the stuff I think defense are doing a better job of adjusting against the Chiefs and I thought the Packers did a really good job of that yesterday. Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't think there's any way that like three four years into this teams wouldn't be getting incrementally better at how you defend that you know like it doesn't mean they'll ever figure it out but and i you know i suspect that if if all else was well you probably wouldn't even notice it but sure teams are going to be getting better piece by piece at how to stop each one of the individual elements of the kansas city offense because it's now been so long that they've been dealing with it it's like you know, Randy Moss four years into his career wasn't winning in quite the same way as Randy Moss was as rookie, where he was like, we've yeah. never seen this before. What the hell do we do with this? Later in his career, it was different. It was still really effective and, in fact, as effective. But teams were teams understood how to cope with it better. All right. Last game to wrap it up. The Tennessee Titans. Seven and two, baby. Owning the AFC right now. The Titans. They beat the Rams pretty handily. Rams moved to 7-2, and two, so they're both 7-2 and two now. But the Titans, it felt like they dominated this game when it was really Matthew Stafford. Well, they did dominate this game because of Matthew Stafford. They did. But it wasn't we like went. the Titans moved the ball offensively or whatever. They had under 200 yards of total offense. But right. Matthew Stafford... Who went full wins. Yeah. He had the uh, interception while getting whooped to the ground. Slung to the ground. He throws it up for an interception. Could have been a pick six. Gets, gets it to like the four-yard line, and then next play throws an actual pick six. If you take those two plays out, <laughs> though, the Rams are right in this thing. Um, so the Rams' defense played really well. Was fine. I mean, they were putting a, they were putting a bind. They didn't give up 28 points. It was really Stafford. Uh, three turnover-worthy plays, but those two that were really the egregious ones, both of them caught, obviously, and uh, the biggest factor in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, you, he, he, it's amazing. I, I don't remember seeing that exact type of play for a long, long time, and then two of them come along like back-to-back weeks almost. Um, back-to-back, exactly, right? That's like when weeks. you're getting tackled in the end zone. and you're Right, it's like safety it or quick, do anything possible to avoid the safety, throw it blindly. Donald Hollis had one back in 98 for the Raiders. Wow. Against who? Bengals, maybe? I don't know. Oh, High-pitched voice means I don't really know. Right. I thought the only reason you were going to know But all that. I remember is a guy named Donald Hollis played quarterback for the Raiders and had a six-interception game, and I'm pretty sure he threw a pick, like, <laughs> in the end zone. Like, to, a, to another human who was standing in the end zone. In end zone to end zone pick? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. I thought the only reason you were going to know that is because it happened against the Jags. No, I know other late 90s stuff that okay. happened besides just the Jaguars. I'm just, like, intimately familiar with... Dialed in with the Jags? With the Jags. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was... We haven't had this yet this year, which is the inevitable couple of games a year where Matthew Stafford plays terribly, um, which have always happened in his Detroit Lions career. We, we hadn't had that at all this season. Um, and... You know, almost every quarterback has these. I mean, remember last year, like a whole bunch of quarterbacks were grading above 90 and every single one of them, except Deshaun Watson, I think, had at least one awful game in there, right? Tom Brady had a terrible one against the Saints. Aaron Rodgers had a terrible one against the Bucs. Uh, like every single one of those great quarterbacks had one disastrous game in there somewhere along the line. So this might just be that. This might be the one stinking game that Matthew Stafford has this year in an otherwise near flawless MVP campaign. The other thing that happened, and you know me and my, uh, my anti-EPA for QBs stance here. EPA is a team stat, not a QB one. There was, there was, a, lot of, there was a lot of Stafford EPA getting thrown around the, uh, the interwebs this week. He's got mm. the EPA. And I was like, that's kind of a team-driven, it's a team-driven stat, especially when his PFF grade isn't great. All of that stuff reverted back because Stafford, when you do get your premium stats and you check it out, he'll have three big-time throws in there. Three. Guess what, he, guess what he did on those? He should have more. <laughs> guess what he did on those three big-time throws? He might have more. What did he do? Didn't complete one. No. Oh. And I think they were all in the end zone. So every time he made a good throw in the end zone, you've got his receiver running out of bounds or just not keeping his feet in bounds. That happened a couple times. So that actually reverted back as well. Like Stafford did make some really good throws that didn't show up in the stat sheet. And when he made the terrible ones, they were bad. They were interceptions. He got away with one other turnover-worthy play. Um, but, yeah, that was – plus, he got sacked five times. So that was the other thing he was doing a really good job of. He was not getting sacked. Whether he was under pressure, they weren't converting to sacks. Overall sack rate was really low. He got sacked five times. Jeffrey Simmons dominant up front in that first half. Um, I just can't say enough about what the Tennessee Titans are doing defensively. The, 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 their success on defense yesterday, given the personnel that they had, was ridiculous. Like, there's no way it should have been that. It should have been possible. This is the best offense in the NFL heading into that game. And they were able to shut it down with, like, no corners. That, that's, that's what I'm – so every single week we're like, okay, the Titans can't keep this up, right? What's the order now? They beat the Bills on Monday Night Football. The then Bills, the Chiefs, then the Chiefs, then the Colts. Then the Colts. In overtime. Then the Rams. Then the Rams. Three of they the – They induced the Wentz thing, too. That's the other – they induced right. the Wentz and Stafford end zone play. Three of the best um, teams in the NFL and a team within their division that effectively sealed the division for them. Like, those are four of the highest leverage games you're going to find a team playing. And not only did they win them all, they did it back to back to back 
Um, and not one of those games was like a letdown after the previous emotional high. And also, by the way, there's some serious like cross-country trips involved there. Like this was in SoFi. Yeah. Like this, you were wrong. You said they had no shot. I did. I didn't think they had a prayer in this game. I think I took game. the Rams too. I didn't, you know, um, I think this would happen. And they absolutely did. The, the I've been impressed with the Titans in part because if we're going to talk about all these other teams that are dealing with injuries and all that, you know, the Niners are all beat up, you know, whatever. The Titans are finding a way to make this thing work. And uh, by the way, Kevin Byard, another interception. He had the pick six. Great play. Um, I think he said after he wasn't supposed to be there or he was late, yeah, whatever it was, he Did dropped down. It looked like he was fairly well freelancing that. He just dropped down to the curl flat area and robbed the. It curl. looked like he was, a, yeah, it looked like he was the robber in the. In, in the defense and then just decided that this is going out to the flat. I can get there. Maybe he should. Maybe they should run that defense more. You know what the defense was? It might have been my, the defense I was going to run <laughs> as the, Bengals defense coordinator. Cover the so, hot areas. Yeah, so what he did is he saw the Rams. He, he read the tendencies. Of course. And he said, in this down and distance, they're going to throw it here. They just, you just read the heat map. And he covered the heat map. He said, we're not running coverages. We're covering the heat map. And Bayard heat mapped it into the end zone. Can I read you some stats that are a little bit funny? Yes. Look, the Titans' defensive line did a great job. And in particular, Jeffrey Simmons was a beast. He had nine total pressures, led the team, monster. Um, Harold Landry, five total pressures. Oh, I know where we're really going. Really good. I know where we're going with this. Uh, Denico Autry, six total pressures. Really good. <laughs> Bud Dupree, one pressure, which was unblocked, and the quarterback fell over at the time. Bud Dupree could have spent the next seven years of his life rushing against Andrew Whitworth and never beat him. Like, he could he could still be out there like just endless right you know that the the hard knock scene where jj watts out at four in the morning under floodlights just rushing against air <laughs> blood dupree could be out there just rushing all night against whitworth and never pressured the quarterback i i just wanted to put that out there you don't need to pick on bud they won it's a victory monday they did you don't they need won to pick on bud. just it it was just kind of funny you know the, the pressure that he did have it came on fourth and one but it's clutch Came on fourth and one. Clutch. Um, it is the second time, I think it was against the Lions, that the Rams did the same thing. They, they ran boot action on fourth and one. And a couple weeks ago, Stafford missed the throw. Kind of helped keep the Lions in the game. And then in this one, he stumbles out of it and then kind of misses the throw. Either way, the throw is incomplete. But it, it was a kind of a risky fourth and one call. Again, booting him out to the left. And uh hasn't worked out for the Rams. No, it's just... It's just kind of funny to me. No, no, I was, I was trying to pull it back into, like, yeah. what affected the game and all that stuff, and you just want to make fun of Bud. It's cool. I mean, there was, a, <laughs> there was a couple of plays where, like, the entire defensive line is converging around Matthew Stafford except for Bud, who's six yards past the pocket, getting driven there by Whitworth. Uh, it's just, you know, big free agent acquisition. Here's the guy that's going to solve the pass rushing problem, and, you know. It's just not the day. Wait till the nah. Titans lost when you can blame them. It's not time. It is, though. It's time when you see just how funny it was. Like, when you look, when you just watch what was happening. You know, like, everybody else is wrecking the Rams offensive line, which, by the way, has been, like, one of the best u- units in the NFL this year. Coming into that game, they'd given up, like, 56 pressures as a unit. Yeah, they'd been so good. The entire year. The Titans defensive front just wrecked them, except Bud. Bud didn't. Yeah. No um, wrecking. <clears throat> the point I tried to make earlier in the week was that um, Stafford's negatively graded throws have remained pretty stable um, and I tweeted this picture out for, for quarterback play the thing we found is negatives remain fairly stable positives can fluctuate a little bit 
positives are very much dependent on your teammates and all that fun stuff, guys getting open or whatever. And that had been the difference in Stafford and in the Rams' offense. So those negatives kind of came back to bite. He's still missing some throws. He missed a few others in this game besides the turnover-worthy plays. Uh, that, was, that was the difference in this game. Uh, Adrian Peterson got to see some time, 10 carries for 21 yards. He lowered his pads for a touchdown. He did get in there late. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the Titans weren't even all that good offensively. Tannehill threw a pick. He was another one, left it out route. Left that out route inside on Jalen Ramsey, who said he was going to get one. That was just a – how many times did that happen this week? Called it. Jalen yeah, Ramsey did. He said he's going to do that. He said Tannehill leaves him inside and he's going to jump it. Um, the the Rams, like, their offense going as the offensive line goes has been the most insanely tight correlation over the last, like, five years. They literally, when their go offensive line – Go ahead and recap line, it. Do you want me to recap it? Sure. I mean, do you want to go before uh, – McVay got there? You can go all the way back, yeah. I mean, 2016, when Jeff Fisher was still there, it was as bad as it gets. Yep. Todd Gurley averaged like 3.3 per carry. Yep. And Goff couldn't do anything. 17, all of a sudden they're good. That's when McVay shows up. 17, they're really good. 18, they're really good. They go to the Super Bowl. Goff's good. For whatever reason in 2000. MVP candidate, Todd Gurley. MVP candidate, Todd Gurley. Goff goes to the Super Bowl. 2019, the Rams' offensive line ranks 30th. Right, in our weird, rankings. complete collapse from everybody. Rob, Rob Havens, Havenstein's hurt and just not playing well. He went from, like, good every year to terrible. Goff has his worst season in 2019. And then last year, they were a little bit – they were better. And then this was like – it was like the one time when Goff's production didn't really match what the offensive line had been doing. And then this game, you have coming into it, as you said, as good as it gets – as far as pass pro goes for the Rams, they fall apart last night, as did the entire offense. So there you go. It's the uh, the Rams' offensive line history. Yeah, and it's weird because, you, uh, it, you know, Stafford didn't play particularly well in this game. On the other hand, it's like the first time that his offensive line has has been overmatched and has been beaten up a bit. And you're like, well, all right, <laughs> what do you take from that? Is that an indication of what Stafford is going to do? for the second half of the year or is that an indication that when the offensive line isn't great the whole thing doesn't look as great and MVP Stafford isn't MVP Stafford and Sean McVay isn't the genius again like it's just an interesting dynamic that we haven't seen that much from the Rams because their offensive line has been so good what do you make um what do you make of this going forward for the Rams here concerning minor blip inevitable regression all of the above I don't, yeah, I don't think it's all of the above. So I just ran the numbers, by the way, for the offensive line grades in that sequence. Um, 2018, 82. Good job, ultimate. 2019, 53. 53? Yeah, which is terrible. And it was worse as a, like as a run-blocking unit, hence MVP Todd Gurley falling off cliff. It was 48. Uh, 2020, 20, 78 and this year it's been 77.6 even including that game so it's literally like smooth sailing as one of the best offensive lines in the league except that one really terrible down year where everything fell apart for randomly no reason it's another one where the titans said well we knew we wanted to get pressure up the middle so what did they just tell jeffrey simmons i go go dominate seems to have worked that was it. And sometimes, you know, if you're going to run stunts, you want to get, you want to create the pressure through the interior. That was, um, we actually had a team reach out to us a couple of years ago to help game plan for a certain quarterback. They said, would, would, "Are we better off pressuring him from the interior or the edge?" We ran a bit of a study, and they said interior. And it's like you just you can kind of like run your games to make sure that the loopers coming in up the middle. Did feel like the Titans were doing some of that, and obviously, 
when you just win your one-on-ones. It happens. So good job by Simmons. Good job by the Titans. I am impressed with what they're doing defensively. Yeah. Just, just what they're doing with the personnel and the injuries and right. youth we, and all that it stuff. It is crazy. It, it's, it's a fascinating sort of data point in this whole Rams thing this year because I'm perfectly happy still owning the idea that I got – the, I, I got this wrong predicting what this Rams offense would look like this season. I didn't think that Jared Goff or that Matthew Stafford was a big enough upgrade from Jared Goff that it would be transformative for this offense. And the fact, like, and that's based off the fact that when you break down Stafford's game throw by throw, it isn't as good as a lot of these other quarterbacks. And even this year, he's like, you know, he was number one in the MVP odds. Um, all throughout this week he was his number one in a whole bunch of different statistics but was like what 15 or something in the pff grades like he's nowhere near the top versus the other guys he's still missing a bunch of throws there's a ton of negatives in there as well and it doesn't matter and the reason it doesn't matter is because of the way like the things that he opens up in this offense allows you allows mcveigh to run the full spectrum again not just what he was stuck with with jared goff a quarterback and that does have a transformative effect so all of a sudden we get this game and there's the first blip. Now, was that just a bad game? The Titans defense did a great job. They dominated up front. And when that happens, everything falls apart for almost every offense in the NFL. Or is this a case of this is the first game of a story we've seen countless times before? We've seen a lot of times the narrative of this guy has unlocked Matthew Stafford. Jim Bob Cooter has fixed Matthew Stafford. And you get eight games and then it goes back to being Matthew Stafford the gloss falls off and all of a sudden it's oh Jim Bob Cooter isn't Bill Walsh we now need to go in a different direction now I have no idea I, I literally have no clue maybe this is the start of the Matthew Stafford that we see every single year or maybe this was just a bad game against a really good Titans defense yeah and, and not even a really like, a really good Titans defense this week that's play yeah they they played a really good game yeah and they've been they've been putting it together the last few weeks um, I don't know if it's a blueprint game necessarily, but it's a different McVay offense. We had the couple years ago where McVay's offense got adjusted to, so have yeah. teams found something they're going to do against this version, the Stafford version, and now balls in the Rams court. How are they going to adjust? So, anyway, another crisp two and a half two and hour, hour show. show yeah. yeah, I think we've hit we've hit our stride. We're the Vikings. Right. I mean, no matter how whatever happens this week, no matter how many we, they could have a game, a, a week of four games, like in the playoffs, and we're going to go two and a half hours. There's no um, you know fat to be trimmed on this podcast. I mean, this is tight. You know, nails everything. There's no extra space. There's no fluff. There's nothing we could cut out of this to no. get to get it under two and a half hours. No, everything was necessary. I talked about how Mac Jones needs to learn the figure four. Right. I uh, I usually forget most of what I said. I have no idea, but it was all great. Grant. I mean, you've been Good trying show. to get that in for a while. A fine yeah, yeah, yeah. We finally had yeah. the opportunity. Mac Jones just needs, you know, a little Ric Flair in him. Woo! You just got to get the woo on there, too. I'll do my Michael Buffer later. Anyway, let's go. You can't do that. You got sued. <clears throat> That's true. Michael <laughs> Buffer will sue the crap out of you if you he break would. that out on he the air. How much is he making just to say, let's get ready to rumble? I can, I, he... can I even say what he says in my life? No, God, no. Let's get ready to do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, I, there was an article somewhere that said he's making six figures every time he says that. Six out loud. figures? Yeah. I would have said like. 50, and he's already right? said it twice for the Rams this year. I've always said you need a good catchphrase. You need a good that catchphrase. Dude, that dude has made millions trademark. In fact, both of them have, Bruce and Michael. You know what your trademark could be? What's that? When and if Joe Flacco plays football again. 
Yeah. You, you, and, and he's on the road. That's way too specific to make me money. I know. But, but he's on the road. It's a road game. <laughs> yeah. And you sell, you're Joe Flacco. No, so every time, so every work. time he, you know, takes the a sack reason, in the pocket or something. The reason the Michael Buffer has made untold millions from his thing is you can apply that to every game yeah, and every specific. sporting event ever. Yeah. Yeah. Right, it's been very good for boxing, but you can also drag him out there for a football game and throw him out there and make him say it while they're kicking off in the background. Like it works, right? I need a thing that's like applicable across all occasions. You and I are both astute uh, business folks here. Of course, yeah. What's the ROI on having a guy say five words? Five words. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's terrible, but evidently, richer people disagree. <laughs> There's no. What does that does that bring revenue? There's no way, particularly not while they're doing. Like, no offense to. Like, I, I want Michael to uh, to earn an honest wage. An, uh, there's literally 22 people playing a game in the background while he's doing it this time. At least week one, they had the decency to wait until he'd done it yeah, before they, they started him? the game. This week, he's literally like mid flow, and there there's just, 11 people running downfield. Just burn the six figures. Does it make the crowd more hyped up for the game? Are you going to get Probably. better? I mean, the Rams lost. How I mean, look, everybody loves that catchphrase. If, I love he, it, too. When he breaks it out, there's people going to get hyped. Let's wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you Wednesday. We'll uh, take suggestions, though, for a catchphrase that will make us millions. Yeah, get us a catchphrase that's going to make us millions. Email us at uh, NFLpodcast at pff.com. And go get your promo code, PFF, uh, NFLpod. 25% off. NFLpod. Look, there it is. There it is. Look. If you're if you're listening, you got to go click the YouTube so you can read the or promo. just listen to the fact that it's NFL pod. NFL pod twenty five percent off. Join us, join the fun. All right, we're out of here. <laughs>